Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here till 4 a.m. Sunday night into Monday morning, uh, which means Monday morning, that means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. And uh, we always play some classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. It's awesome. We're going to play back uh, Johnny Bombs a Sketch. It's always funny when Johnny bombs. Always funny. Uh, we also have Walter uh, Jacobson's perspective coming up in a little bit as well. Uh, uh, crop circles continue to be um, popping up and are a mystery. We're going to jump into the, the world of crop circles. And has anybody ever visited one? Apparently tomorrow is ugly truck day. <laughs> ugly truck day. Boy, they just come up with any kind of day, don't they? Um, we, 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 tell us about your ugliest car. You can describe it in great detail. Um, and how about embarrassing work stories? Everybody's got embarrassing work stories. So we'll get into that too. Our phone number is 312-981-7200. Um, if you want to jump in here on the Team Hochberg phone line, 312-981-7200. We're kicking off the show though with our good friend, Mark Reddick, who is the host and program director of Landline uh, uh, Landline Now. You can check out LandlineMedia.com. Uh, we always like to talk about trucking and uh, say hello to the truckers that are out there on the road right now. And if you want to jump in, 312-981-7200. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And uh, we always talk about uh, trucking with Mark. And uh, let's get him on. Hello, Mark. How you doing, Nick? I'm all right. How are you? Very well, sir. Very well. Good, good, good. Tell everyone about Landline Now. Uh, We're a one-hour nightly news show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. They have an entire channel dedicated to truckers, and we're kind of the evening news on there. All right, there you go. And uh, and uh, you, you've been uh, you know you've been uh, talking about and been around the trucking business for many, many, many years. You never drove a truck, but you were part part of the business for many years. 17 years I've been at this, uh, first at Landline Magazine, and then in 2005, I moved over to the show and we started the show, and I've been doing that ever since, and I've had some connections before that. In fact, uh, my father ran a truck tire center. Uh, It was first on South Hoyne Avenue in Chicago, and then later on up in uh, Bensonville by the airport. Oh, there you go. So it's been part of you. It's it's, It's been in your blood, basically, then, Mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Very, very, very cool. So let's first of all let's get a report on on uh, what's the vibe that you're getting from the from the truckers uh, out on the on the road now. Uh, you know we've been dealing with this pandemic and uh, they've been they've had to do their job uh, through through all those t- through all the weird times. So what's the vibe out on the road? Well, they're a little bit shaky still because of the rates, and uh, that's I mean that's really everything to these guys because it's their pay. And uh, what they're being paid for hauling freight is just very slowly coming back from the beginning of this. And it's very uneven depending on uh, what type of freight you haul. We were very lucky in the fact that produce season uh, started up as the pandemic started up. And that kind of gave a little boost to rates because 
uh, fresh vegetables have got to get out of the field and to the markets fast. Yeah. So that helped out a little bit. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens here over the next week or two. We know that the big uh, unemployment checks are going to come to an end, which is going to affect consumer demand. And, of course, you know, everything moving on those trucks is ultimately affected in some way by consumer demand. So we'll just have to see what happens next. I don't think anybody really knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, you, so you've been reporting on, on, on what's going on here on your show. Very much so. Yeah. We, we try and keep a very good track on it, especially uh, we have a uh, update every week with some experts uh, in the field as far as the rates and how much freight there is and where it's moving and where it's not. And uh, so we're keeping really close track of it. For for someone who might not know what rates are, could you explain that? Uh, truckers uh, typically are paid by the mile, and a lot of truckers are running their own business. And so uh, basically it is how much you're paid for moving the freight, and it can vary greatly depending on the distance, the type of freight. Uh, some loads are more difficult to move than others and might pay a little bit more. And also just basically what the demand is. If you got a lot of stuff in one place that's got to move across the country, but there aren't a lot of trucks there, you're more likely to see higher rates. And even um, with the, uh, the folks who work for one of the large motor carriers, ultimately they're going to be affected by what that motor carrier is paid for freight. So it's it's a, it's a very odd thing. Truckers are one of those rare types of workers. They can work 20 to 40 hours a week during which they're not paid because they're only paid when that truck is moving. Mm. Wow, that seems that seems a little strange, doesn't it? It is. When they uh when they wrote the laws on the Fair Labor Standards Act, the law that guides things like overtime pay, they exempted truck drivers from those rules. And it's been that way ever since, and I've always wondered what the reasoning was, because honestly, what what would be different about them from any other kind of worker? Um, and as a result, they work some pretty incredible hours. So Yeah. Wow. And there's, there's, there's kind of no, you, you can't go back and find out a reason why this has happened? Um, as I understand it, at the time... Um, a lot of the trucking companies, a lot of the companies that were shipping goods didn't think it was practical, and it was a compromise in writing the Fair Labor Standards Act. One of the reasons you'll hear a lot about the hours of service, the federal rules that guide how many hours a trucker can go in a day. And these days they talk about it always as a safety regulation. Originally it was put in as an alternative to overtime to limit how much time truckers could be worked each day. Oh, I see. So it's kind of since the 1930s, it's kind of morphed into being treated as a safety regulation. Oh, I see. I see. Okay, Mark, hang on, okay? Sure. All right. Mark Redding is with us. If you're out on the road, first of all, thank you. We love to check in with the tr- with the truckers, especially when Mark is here. And if you're out there driving around and you want to uh, jump in here and tell us what's what's going on on the road uh, as a truck driver, and we're going to talk more about uh, Landline now and with Mark Redding and other uh, trucking-related stories. 312-981-7200. Girl, 
you like someone new to talk to? Oh yeah, alright I'm feeling kind of lonely too, if you don't mind Right. Sit down Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN Live in the Skyline studio, we're here until 4 o'clock we're going into a Monday morning, so that means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. We like to start off your work week with a laugh. We're going to play back some classic Johnny Carson, uh, which we do every morning at 2.30. We're going to talk about uh, tomorrow is ugly truck day, evidently. So we're going to talk about some of the ugliest cars you've ever had. Um, uh, embarrassing work stories as well. And, of course, crop circles. Ooh, mystery. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Right now, my guest is Mark Reddick. He joins us uh, usually, what, about once a month? Uh, he is the host and program director of Landline Now. Uh, you can check out landlinemedia.com, and he talks everything trucking. And uh, we got some trucking stories, and if you're out there driving and you want to jump in, 312-981-7200, and thanks for what you do, 312-981-7200. Um, Mark, let's talk a little bit about some of these tr- uh, stories that are uh, that are, are around that you you, sure. you guys have been covering in Landline. Um, you can check out landline.media. And um, you, there's a piece here that's in front of me that's uh, 15 states and D.C. pledge 100% zero emission trucks by 2050. Let's talk about that story. I think it's nice to have dreams. <laughs> um, this is a noble goal, and I hope they can do it. But thus far, um, the people that are really promoting electric trucks, I think they work great on the local level. They work great for delivery trucks, for box trucks that are short haul in a in a limited land area. Yeah. But for the long haul over the road, um, you know, uh, the longest distances I've seen don't match up to how far a truck can get on, uh, uh, you know, fully fueled up with diesel. And that's what they've got to do, is, is they've got to make it. Also, the prices have got to come down on these trucks for these to be practical. They cost significantly more, and as it is, the price of new trucks has just skyrocketed um, in the last few years, uh, which has put it out of the range of a lot of trucking operations. A lot of folks are depending on used trucks now. So uh, you do have the very, very big fleets that filter through trucks every, uh, it depends on the fleet, three to five years. Um, But I don't even know if they'll go for them because they typically go for the least expensive trucks they can get because they're buying so many. So this is a neat idea. And as I said, I hope they're able to make it happen. But uh, uh, the other thing about trucks is they last a long time. They're intended to. Um, you'll hear a lot of truckers talk about getting their engine over a million miles before they have to uh, uh, basically rebuild the engine, and then they will rebuild the engine and keep running that truck. Um, So uh, this is going to be a very gradual transition, assuming that they're able to make it happen. Um, I think this is a very, as I said, a very noble goal. I'm a little quizzical as far as the practicality. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. Okay. Well, how, uh, do you know approximately how many like electric trucks are out there right now on the road? Um, it's pretty limited, and uh, it's you know a lot of the companies that said they were going to come out with them haven't even come out with them yet. So, I think most of what you're looking at are probably local delivery. 
Um, I think there are some at a few of the ports, but it's a very, very small number. Um, a lot of the major electric truck makers haven't even fully come out with their models yet for sale. So um, they they may have jumped the gun a bit on this one, but who knows? I mean, technology is moving so fast these days. Yeah. Um, if you look at what a telephone was when you and I were, were young people, and I'm, I'm assuming, I think you're about the same age range that I am. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong on that, I'm, but when I'm, we were I'm, young... I'm, that, I'm 55, so... Okay, we're in the same range. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what a phone could do when we were young, and then you look at the, the rather significantly powered computer we have in our pockets now... Yeah. I, I mean, Star Trek did not predict that thing. That's like a communicator and a tricorder. And that, that is like the everything device. Yeah. And, and, and um, we've talked about this before. Speaking of phones and the Internet and things like that, that's crucial for truckers, correct? Absolutely. Uh, these days, if you're looking for loads, you're probably on the Internet uh, before you do anything else. Um, and... Uh, let's face it, GPS is rapidly replacing what few actual paper maps are out there. Most people are running on GPS. Uh, and, of course, uh, truckers have to be very, very attentive to the weather. And where you're going to find out about weather when you're going across the country is probably either going to be the radio or it's going to be that phone looking at a weather app. So more and more these things are filling so many functions that are important to truckers they really adopted smartphones very very quickly yeah that uh, makes sense and the the weather thing that you mentioned last week we were talking about tornadoes and um uh, you know if there's severe weather out there how do the truckers deal with that i mean they can't stop well it it depends i mean if you think about you know the nice thing about living in the midwest is tornadoes are very very tiny as opposed to hurricanes that are several hundred miles wide so it's pretty easy to dodge them Mm -hmm. um but if there is one on your path you may have to stop you may have to pull in and uh hope that you're at a uh facility that has some kind of tornado shelter uh it's interesting that um You know, I lived a a good chunk of my life in the state of Kansas, and along the Kansas Turnpike, every one of the rest stops has an underground tornado shelter. Um, And I think a lot of people don't know that, but it's a good thing to know if you're out there because, of course, that is a classic place that you might run into a tornado during that season. Sure, sure. Um, We have had cases um, where truckers have been swept off the road by tornadoes. you probably remember years ago uh, the Greensburg tornado, the little town in Kansas that was just wiped clean off the map. Mm. And uh, we actually talked to a married couple who were in their truck, and it was picked up by that tornado while they were in it, carried across Highway 54, and sat down again. Mm. That's terrifying. And you can imagine that they uh, they were displeased with this. Um but uh, also in Joplin, uh, when the Joplin tornado happened, of course, that was a, a horrific disaster. Joplin is a major trucking crossroads. You've got two interstates going through there, and one of them goes down to the world headquarters of Walmart. So there's a lot of freight moving through there and a lot of trucking companies based there. And several of the truck stops were directly in the path of the Joplin tornado. And uh uh, you know, you may end up losing your truck. Jeez. Um, well, the people that get through those without losing a truck are just very lucky. 
Um, 312-981-7200 if you're out on the road and you're uh, driving uh, and you're a trucker. If you have any stories about uh, some of the inclement weather that you've dealt with while you've been on the road, um, 312-981-7200 in particular if you want to jump into that uh what's the what else is this you know we we're talking about the uh, the pledge for 100 percent zero emissions by 2050 what else does the plan uh call for well they aren't completely into specifics yet but they are looking i mean and one of the big things is creating the infrastructure um if you're going to have electric trucks you've got to have a place for an electric truck to recharge right but this is again where reality kind of interferes truckers when they stop for fuel, they are in there. They get that diesel in there as fast as they can. They're using high-speed pumps. They go in, they pay, and they are back on the road again. Electric charging doesn't work that way. And so there's been a lot of talk. I remember it was either a company called Nikola or Tesla. Ironic, it would be one of those two. But yeah. they were talking about the concept of what they called hot-swapping battery packs that you literally would just have all the batteries pulled out of your truck and they'd give you a new highly charged set of batteries, slip them in there and get you back on the road. But wow. that requires even more intense infrastructure um, because you've got to have some way of doing that. And these are not small battery packs. Yeah. Jeez. So they've got a lot of things to work out, but they are trying to get, the infrastructure going. Um, this is obviously going to have to involve power companies because that's an enormous amount of power that uh, has to be brought into those truck stops. Uh, I know there's an attempt to create a an electric corridor up and down I-5, Interstate 5 along the West Coast. And, um, you know, you've got to work with a lot of private corporations that own fueling stops and truck stops. Um, there's just a lot that has to be built. But think if we were starting from scratch with diesel or gasoline and you had to build every gas station and truck stop in the country all over again. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, listen, Mark, hold on. Okay. Sure. All right. Mark Redding is with us. Uh, he is uh, the host and program director of Landline Now, landlinemedia.com is the website. we got a lot more trucking stories to talk about. And if you're out there on the road and you want to jump in with anything trucking related, we would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. That's 312-981-7200. Mark, uh, more with Mark uh, coming up. Jillio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 o'clock. Uh, and uh, it will be Monday, so that means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey-jokey time. We're going to talk about crop circles. We're going to talk about ugly cars and uh, some embarrassing work stories. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. We're talking with uh, Mark Reddick. Uh, he joins us once a month. He's the host and program director of Landline Not Now. And you can check out landline.media, landline.media, for uh, all the information. And if you're out there uh, driving a truck and you want to jump in with any trucking-related uh, uh, comments or questions, 312-981-7200. All right, Mark. So, um, yes. 
Let's talk a little bit about this uh, Tesla on autopilot uh, crashes into a uh, an Arizona DPS vehicle. Oh, man, I love Elon Musk. I really believe in what he's doing. But his cars have been the worst publicity for automated vehicles. Yeah. Um, this this is not a new thing. There's been a number of times that Teslas on some type of autopilot have just run into stuff. Uh, so uh, this one in particular, um, uh, as I recall, I don't think anyone uh, was injured badly. Uh, I don't think anyone was killed. But the Tesla rear-ended a state trooper vehicle that then ran into an ambulance. Jeez. That's got to be the trifecta. Yeah. And Jeez. I guess they're uh, considering DUI charges against the driver of the Tesla. Um, I don't even know what that is. It's not the Quinella. It's not the trifecta. It's way up there. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, and this is the kind of danger of this belief it, absolute belief in technology just solving everything. It just doesn't. Um, and I think we're a lot farther away from truly driverless vehicles than a lot of the tech people are putting on. And and this is certainly an example of why I think that. Hmm. Uh, it's just, uh, it's sad, and uh, uh, we just have to hope that we don't see uh, uh, anything truly serious come out of this. But um, I've I've heard of people, I, heard, I should say heard from people, actually heard from people that have just uh, one person that put a Tesla on an autopilot and then sat back and took a nap. Oh, God. And, uh, yeah, certain members of his family were giving him what for for that, as they well should have. But people just think it says autopilot, and that's not really what it is. Um, you still have to be attentive. It's not foolproof. Um, so this, this is kind of a sad thing, but Nick, one of the things that drives me crazy is that, uh, we have these cars, the automated cars, the driverless cars that are doing things like this. And we did have a very tragic accident involving one in uh, Arizona, I believe it was, where a woman was walking across the road with her bicycle and the driverless car just popped right into her, and it oh, killed her. Oh, man. And, you know, a lot of the automated car people think that what the, where we ought to start is with, with big trucks. If we're not able to basically make a, you know, smart car or a Fiat do this without running into something or someone, God forbid, I'm not sure how I feel about having an 80,000-pound freight-carrying vehicle go around without a driver. I totally, I, I just can't see it. I just can't see it, Mark. Um, but, boy, they, they are just certain it's going to happen. And if you listen to them talk about it, they seem to think that every interstate is is flat and straight. And I don't know where they've been driving, but it's sure not like any place I've driven. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's it's a very naive point of view of what, what trucks do. And, and actually most truck miles are traveled on two lane roads. Mm. So, um, there's a real rush, uh, toward this automated technology and a real belief that it's, it's just going to solve all of our problems. And I, I love technology. I'm always trying to get the latest stuff, 
but this is one where I think I'm going to wait a long time until they've got all the problems shaped out. Absolutely. Absolutely. What did what did what did the, the truckers think of this? Um, most of them. There's a few that are interested, but most of them are very very wary if they see one of those near them. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there was a 60 Minutes report, and they had a panel of four truckers, and you could tell from the part that ran on the program that these truckers were very skeptical. We talked with some of them afterwards, and they were more than very skeptical. Um, they, uh, But, of course, these are the people that know more than anyone what it takes to properly and safely drive one of these rigs down the road. Right, right. And um, they are not satisfied that the real safety requirements have been met yet. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that kicks in at some point with the regulators and with the companies, uh, and they they kind of put the brakes on a little bit and take some more time to make sure this stuff works. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one thing, like I said, when it's a little tiny two-door car, it's another thing entirely when it's a behemoth that yeah. weighs more than a Sherman tank. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Uh, is there any overall benefit to having a hybrid automated trucker situation? Well, it depends on who you ask. My personal opinion is, again, even with the partly automated, and I'll give you an example, is the uh, automatic emergency braking systems. And they want there's a move afoot in Congress. It hasn't gained a lot of support yet to require those systems in trucks. I talked with a, a guy who is a, a long, long-time trucker, 30 years, a safe driver, has not caused an accident, and he went actually into the Chicago area uh, up on the expressways, and of course, as you know, when you're on the expressways and if you're not moving right there, people are cutting in front of you all the time. Well, every time someone cut in front of him, that automatic system would jam the brakes, so it was jam, 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 just oh. constantly. And he had to turn the system off because he just could not drive the truck with it hitting the brakes every couple of seconds. Right. Um, the other thing about these systems is they don't stop for stationary objects. And that's part, they think, and again, this has not been fully investigated, but part of what some of the experts think may have happened in the case in Arizona is the woman came across as a stationary object to the system, Mm. and it didn't stop. And the reason they do that is you don't want your car jamming on the brakes every time you pass a speed limit sign, and it detects the speed limit sign or any other stationary object along the road. Mm. The problem is if if there is a stationary object of the road, you probably don't want to hit it. Right. Um, So there's there's a lot of work to be done on these yet. Yeah, it sounds like it. but there are people that are absolutely sold on this technology. There, there are uh, people not only in the private industry that produces them, but also in government that are absolute believers in that. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, for me, personal opinion, faith belongs in church, not in transportation safety law. That makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Uh, and we'll keep uh, we'll keep an eye on what's going on here um, uh, with with this situation, uh, Mark. How about this? A man builds a solar powered truck and travels across the country. I am interested in this, um, and I've been looking into it. But <clears throat> the information so far 
<clears throat> excuse me, has been a little sketchy. Um, if you look at a lot of his videos, he talks about sitting at the truck stop all day absorbing power and then using it at night, um, which I think for an experiment is interesting, but as a practical matter is, is not a method you might be able to use to move freight, because when you got to move, you got to move. Right, right. Um, that said, I had no idea. I mean, he's not actually driving a full-size semi, a tractor trailer, uh, you know, full-size tractor pulling a, a 53-foot trailer. Right. He's in a small box truck, but nonetheless, it is a box truck. But he is generating more power than you need to run a house. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Wow. Um, and it... Uh, I don't know how much weight he has on that box truck, if it's uh, anywhere near the carrying capacity of that in terms of weight, but it's impressive that he's able to do it all what he's doing. I I love renewable power. Um, if, if I could switch my house over, if I had the money to do that, I'd be on that like stink on a monkey, but... <laughs> Uh, I, I honestly, uh, uh, that's just not something in my budget. I hope it is someday. If he can pull this off, this could point the way to a whole new paradigm. But again, this is, this is in its infancy, but I think it takes someone like this. Um, there's a gentleman years ago who uh, uh, started working in truck aerodynamics, and he was trying to make the perfect aerodynamic truck. Bob Sly was the guy's name, mm -hmm. and he keeps doing these truck builds. And the last one uh, he did looked like a freight-carrying monorail car. I mean, it was slick-looking. Yeah. Uh, he cooperated with Shell Oil on developing it, and he really was able to do amazing things in terms of fuel savings with that truck. It takes the one crazy guy who's willing to dedicate his life to trying to make something like this work to get the ball rolling. Yeah, okay. All right, Mark, hang on. Yeah. All right, Mark Redding is with us. Uh, more trucker talk. And we have, as when, when Mark is on, we like to tell uh, some trucker jokes. So we got a couple of trucker jokes coming up. Right now, though, it is time for Walter Jacobson's Perspective, and it's sponsored by HearingHealthCenter.com. There's a lot of talk in Chicago about things not being like they used to be. Taste of Chicago, Lollapalooza, the Air and Water Show, they're all gone, which is a big change. And now on the way is an even bigger one, a huge change in power politics in Chicago. From white power, not to black power or Latino power, but to black and Latino power together. In the ongoing war against police, blacks and Latinos are on the front lines soldiering together. And now they're behind the lines in private meetings, teaming up and maneuvering together to take over politics. That's not happened before in Chicago. Black and Latinos are forced together in politics. The city population is 33% white, 29% black, 30% Latino. That's a 4% white majority over blacks and Latinos by themselves. But together, Blacks and Latinos are a 26% majority over whites. 26% is a huge advantage in any election, anywhere, but especially in Chicago, where voters are so motivated by race and ethnicity. In maneuvering together before an election, committing to share the spoils of a victory, then together getting their people to the polls, blacks and Latinos can win themselves a bonanza. 
the white power establishment and Chicago's mainstream media will say, oh, that's too hard to do, that it's a fantasy. But it's about to be much easier to do, so it's not a fantasy. It's for real. Watch it. I'm Walter Jacobson, and that's my perspective. For more, visit WTNRadio.com or download the WTN Radio app. Hey, it's Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until 4. Uh, it'll be a Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey-jokey time. We've got some classic Johnny Carson that we're going to play back. Crop circles are mysterious. It's ugly truck day tomorrow, so we're going to talk about the ugliest cars that you ever had and embarrassing work stories. 312-981-7200 is the number. My guest right now is Mark Reddig. He is the host and program director of Landline Now, landline.media. Is the uh, is the website? We talk all things truck related. And uh, hello, Mark. How you doing, Nick? Okay, sir. We have someone on the line here. Is Rich on WGN? Go ahead, Rich. Hey, how you doing? All right. Uh, my uh, joke is: uh, What do Mack trucks and uh, test two babies have in common? What? Either one or Peterbilt. All <laughs> right. Thanks, Rich. You're welcome. All right. There you go. Rich is a. Uh, drank some Henny Youngman juice this morning. Um, so, uh, Mark, I do have a couple of jokes here, because we always like to tell trucker okay. jokes. Here, right? All right. Uh, there, was a man, there was a man driving down the road behind an 18-wheeler. At every stoplight, the trucker would get out of his cab, run back, and bang on the trailer door. After seeing this at several intersections in a row, the motorist followed him until he pulled into a parking lot. When they both had to come to, to the stop, the truck driver once again jumped out and started banging the trailer door. Uh, the motorist went up to him and said, uh, I don't mean to be nosy, but why do you keep banging on that door? To which the trucker replied, sorry, can't talk now. I have 20 tons of canaries and a 10-ton limit, so I have to keep half of them flying at all times. Oh! <laughs> oh! oh. Uh, all right. Oh, my God. Uh, here's the next one. A trucker was hauling penguins. <laughs> when a police officer pulls him over and says, what are you doing? You need to take those penguins to the zoo. Here are some directions. The next day, the officer sees the same trucker in the same truck hauling more penguins. The officer pulls him over and says, didn't I tell you to take these penguins to the zoo? The trucker replies, yeah, I did. It was a lot of fun. Today, I'm taking them to the movies. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, man. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, uh, good trucker jokes, I'm telling you. All right, um, let's talk about um, the recall of uh, 160,000 Freightliner Cascadia trucks. What's what's uh, going on there with that recall? Yeah, that, that one's a little scary, but sometimes a lot of them are. It, it's basically a problem in a particular brake part, and it can cause the uh, release timing to react in such a way that when the automatic emergency braking system kicks in, it'll pull the thing to one side. And uh, so you really don't want a truck going where you don't want it to go. That's pretty serious. Um, And uh, so, yeah, they're they're going to be 
as with all these recalls, offering a free fix. And I guess the recalls are going to begin August 30th. I would certainly be okay if they moved that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this one's, this one's pretty serious. And, um, but as I said, so many of them are, I mean, uh, you know, may cause the truck to not brake properly, uh, you know, may, uh, cause the brake lights to react in such a way as to confuse other drivers. There have been quite a few of them, but I, I think, you know, I think these days there's quite a few recalls on any kind of vehicle. Um, but I'd rather have them recalling them and fixing them and instead of just having the darn thing break. Yeah. Yeah. How often are there recalls? Boy, for a while, it seemed like we had a new one every week. Um, but they've slowed down a bit. I think we're down to about one maybe every month or so. Um, but if you look at the number of parts on a truck, you look at how many models of truck there are at each of the major manufacturers and how many manufacturers there are, that's a lot to go wrong. Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to give a lot of, uh, leeway to the truck companies because they are trying to find these problems and they are fixing them. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, (laughs) there's that old rule that the more complex a machine is, the more parts it has, the more things there are to break. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of more parts on the truck now, especially the government has had all kinds of emissions requirements. It's caused a massive increase in emissions control systems. You've got all kinds of computers on there controlling different parts of the truck. It's an awful lot to go wrong. So something inevitably will. Okay. And if people, uh, you know, out there have questions, it's Daimler Trucks? Uh, Daimler. Daimler. Daimler, yeah. Okay. Daimler Trucks, and, and they they have a customer service number. It's 800-547-0712, uh, and the recall number is FL85-855. Again, 800 800- Yeah, and we always have these on our website, uh, landline.media. Um, the folks that keep track of these do a very good job of finding them and getting them out there on the website. So mm-hmm. we kind of think with all the different manufacturers, maybe we can act as a central repository so people could just go in, search for the word recall, and see if anything that they own comes up. Okay. All right. And, again, all this information is available at landline.media. Um, so, uh, and it, the, 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 the recalls begin on August 30th. All right. Uh, how about the Tiger Truck Stops Animal Dynasty coming to an end, which is a piece that, <laughs> that you put together? Tell us about that. I, I love the Tiger Truck Stop. I really do. And this was actually an article by uh, Wendy Parker, who is just a hoot and a half, and she finds the most fun stuff. Uh, the Tiger Truck was Stop was called that because for years and years, the owner actually had a real live tiger in a cage at the truck stop. (laughs) And um, the animal rights people were just going nuts over it. And he was tangling with them and tangling with state officials for years. And and finally, Tony the Tiger, and that, yes, it was Tony the Tiger, finally passed on of old age. And this guy figures he hasn't gotten enough abuse yet, so he buys a camel. (laughs) A camel. And then what happens is got to be one of the most famous mishaps at a truck stop ever. There's this couple that pulls in, and their dog, which is stone-cold deaf, 
wanders off and wanders into the camel enclosure. <laughs> so apparently, uh, lacking a degree of brain power, they decide the best thing they could do is go into the enclosure with the wild animal to retrieve their unable-to-hear dog. And the camel reacts by sitting on the woman. <laughs> so she has a dromedary, a one-humped camel, sitting on top of her. And her response to get the camel to cease this activity is to bite it. I'm going to use the scientific term, in its testicles. Yes. You she know, uh, Mark, we have, a, uh, we have a segment that we do on Friday mornings here called You Big Dummy. Where we, we where, where we read real news stories of real dumb people doing real dumb stuff. We covered that one. We covered that story on, on oh. Big Dummy. And boy, is that appropriate for it. I, I, I would have thought of a lot of different things before I thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I've got a pen. Like, stab it in the haunches. Yell for help. Yeah. Um, anything before <laughs> that. And the poor camel. Yeah. I mean, I had sympathy pains for three days after that happened. <laughs> so the truck stop, the tiger truck stop, it's gone. Well, the truck stop is there, but yeah. uh, the gentleman who ran it, who had the animals, has left. Uh, the new owners sent all the animals off to a zoo where I suspect they'll be, well, honestly, better taken care of. Sure. And they're still running the truck stop, but they plan to tear down the current one and build a brand new facility. And it's got a few years on it. That's probably a good idea. But it it is a, a sad day when something that really has some weird character in this business. Uh, I mean, I suspect it's going to be a beautiful new clean truck stop. That's great for the truckers. But I'm sure there's some of them that are going to miss the idea of showing up at a truck stop and seeing a live tiger or a camel or whatever the next animal that man would have bought would have been. Yeah, it sounds like fun, uh, and it was obviously very popular, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, people knew about the tiger truck stop. It was one of those um, that just, <laughs> how could you not know about that if you drive a truck? I mean, it's just too good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, All yeah. All right. All right. Well, Mark, always a uh, a pleasure to have you on. Um, and I know that you're 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 uh, working on uh, Landline now, always, and Landline Media. And uh, we want to say thanks for what you do. We want to say thanks to the truckers out there. Absolutely. Thank you to all the folks behind the wheel. Stay safe out there. Okay, buddy. We'll talk to you in a month. Okay. Take care. There you go. Mark Reddig uh, is the host program director of Landline now. Check out Landline Media. Uh, to service all of your trucker needs and all of your trucker topics. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. So uh, tomorrow is Ugly Truck Day. So we're going to talk about uh, Ugly Truck Day and your ugliest car since we've been talking about vehicles. 312-981-7200 was the ugliest car you ever had. Uh, And we'll talk about that uh, after the news, which is uh, coming up uh, right now. Yeah. 
Uh, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Hi. It is officially a Monday morning. I uh, hope your work week starts out well, and we're going to give you a laugh because my dad's going to call in and tell a joke as he does every Monday morning. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. You can call the Team Hochberg phone line. 312-981-7200. We're talking about uh, Ugly Truck Day, which apparently is today. So that brings up uh, some ugly cars. Tell us about your ugliest car. <laughs> 312-981-7200. Yeah, some cars are just ugly. Let's bring this topic up the next time Tom's on. Tom Appel. What did he think? What does he think are the ugliest? Tom Appel from Consumer Guide Automotive. What does he think are the ugliest cars ever? So, um, so ugly truck day. There's a whole website, uglytruckday.com. I didn't know this was a thing. Did you know this was a thing, Tom? You know, I only found out like yesterday, maybe Saturday. I started hearing about it. Uh huh. So I've got a. My brother has recently recently gotten into got into owning a truck. Is it ugly? Um, you know that's that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of uh, most trucks. Is it a pickup? It is a pickup. It's a pick 'em up truck. Mm-hmm. And um. You know, he bought it somewhere downstate on his way back from. He was staying in Colorado for a while, and he needed a car because he was going to be. He needed a truck because he was going to be doing some roofing work. So okay. He bought, he bought a used Dodge Ram, and it certainly is a truck. It's huge. He wants to uh, get it lifted, which I think you know raise the yeah raise the, the actual car up a little bit on the wheels. I don't know why. I don't know. He's he has started wearing trucker hats. Oh all come the time. on, man. He's buying into it. He has bought into the uh, the whole thing. Is he Ashton Kutcher now? <laughs> I think maybe. I'm sure he wishes he was Ashton Kutcher. But well, the trucker hats will be there. The trucker hats will be there. But uh, he loves that thing. And now he's. I I was at a family party recently, and he's got a truck. And two of my uncles have trucks. Mm-hmm. And you should have seen them. They were just like standing out there looking at each other's trucks. Just kind of arms crossed, you know, going, hmm. You know how much ho- horsepower this baby has? Yeah. You know how much towing capacity? I'm like, all right. Okay. Whatever. Fine. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a particularly pretty car. Um, I used to have to drive a Ford F-150 for a, for a job. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Gave me a lot of anxiety driving that bad boy downtown. Why? I don't know. It's just it's just so much bigger than every other car on the road, and you feel like you're taking up five lanes of traffic. Yeah, and you know, in Chicago, there's there's tight spaces. Even when you're even when it's a fairly open road, you know, cars are close to you. Even with any with any type of car, cars are pretty close to you. And with a car of that size, it's truck size. Yeah, you feel a great amount of anxiety, or at least I felt a great amount of anxiety trying to make turns and everything like that. I'd be coming up from Wacker doing these turn-on-a-dime things going up the ramps from not just lower Wacker, but lower, lower Wacker. Right. The the lower Wacker that we always forget about. That's real, real down there. So, Well, I mean, we used to 
we used to work right there. Right, right. You know, when we were in the Trib Building. Lower Michigan, Lower Wacker. It's a whole different world down there, man. Especially if she's, you've seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Lower Wacker will never be the same after you see that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Ugly Truck Day. The origins of Ugly Truck Day are largely unknown, but we know this for sure. One, Ugly Truck Day is celebrated on July 20th. Two, Ugly Truck Day is also known as Ugly Truck Contest Day. (laughs) Three, according to Google, the earliest mention of an Ugly Truck Contest on the web was October 15th, 1996. The website secularseasons.org lists July 20th as Ugly Truck Contest Day and offers the following description. Each year, several states hold ugly truck competitions. While varying in their rules, each is a showcase for the contestants' well-used pickups, vans, and sports utility vehicles. Entries can range from ancient hobbling wrecks to uh, ornately adorned art trucks. The trouble is the domain secularseasons.org wasn't registered until 2002, so we're going to say that Google's best guess is incorrect. Here's the fourth fact. Are you ready for this one? (laughs) The Duran Duran Wiki indicates that keyboardist Nick Rhodes judged an ugly truck contest in 1989. However, the contest is said to have taken place on January 13, 1989. What, Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran judging an ugly truck contest? Why does that seem so weird? I wonder if they were just looking for a celebrity with a name that was auto-related. So oh, Rhodes. Rhodes? Yeah. Okay. And uh, hey, Duran Duran, what, what year was that they said? 89. I mean, Duran Duran would still be pretty, yeah. pretty popular in 89. Yeah, I mean, not as popular as, like, the mid-'80s. Sure. And then they had the comeback in, like, 93. They had a huge comeback in 1993 with that with the wedding album. So, really, 1989 was the perfect time to call Nick Rhodes... To judge an ugly, <laughs> an ugly truck contest. I wonder if he was a truck enthusiast. I don't know. He's got some good hair. That he does. Uh, number five, a review of the website messagemates.com from June 19th, 2000, mentions that users can send a friend an Ugly Truck Day e-card. And then finally, an incredibly ugly page about bizarre July holidays that Google says is from February 1st, 2001, but which seems like it could have been a few years older, lists July 20th as Ugly Truck Contest Day. So in, embrace your ugly truck. You have an ugly car? What was the ugliest car you ever had? 312-981-7200. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure that we can come up with some. And I do have like a list of some of the ugliest cars ever made. <laughs> 312-981-7200. We want to hear from you. Ugly truck day. Let's talk about your ugly vehicles. Here on 720 WGN.
Love that song. Hi, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio on a Monday morning, which means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's Ugly Truck Day. (laughs) Celebrate the ugliness of your vehicle. If uh, you've uh, ever had an ugly vehicle, 312-981-7200, what are some of the ugliest cars ever? I have this. I have a, uh, the, this article goes back to 1932. Uh, 1932 Stout Scarab. <laughs> That's an interesting name. The Stout Scarab is believed to be the world's first minivan, possibly uh, the world's first aluminum unibody, and definitely the world's first truly ugly car. The Scarab's oddball shape comes courtesy of a rear-mounted Ford V8 and a wide body that lacked running boards. All very innovative stuff, but there's no excuse for the Scarab's ridiculously flattened face. The fact that it is named for an Egyptian dung beetle (laughs) certainly didn't broaden the car's appeal, and it's no surprise that only only nine were built? I mean, this was the 30s. Who? Uh, well, which nine people had him? So the uh, stout scarab. Here's uh, Elizabeth on WGN. Hi, Elizabeth. Good morning, Nick. Hi. I probably owned one of the ugliest cars made, a red pacer. Oh, pacers, yeah. But I loved it dearly. I could park that car anywhere. Yeah. And I could see... It it was the first car to have a windshield wiper on the back windshield, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And I was taller than it so that I could clear it off. I could clear off the snow right away. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. You're welcome. Yeah, the Good. Pacer. Pacer's an ugly car. I quite like the Pacer. I think that's a nice looking car. Come on, man. Well, Wayne drives one in Wayne's World. Oh, I don't even remember that. He drives a, drives a blue Pacer with little flames on the side. The, 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 pa- the Pacer's the one with, like, the curved windows in the back? Right. Okay. So it, it's almost like looking, it's almost like having a, I don't know, like a diving vessel that you can see 360 degrees. Obviously, it doesn't Yeah, it's like Life Aquatic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, honestly, if you could adapt the Pacer design to be underwater, it would be at least a decent underwater vehicle. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not an underwater vehicle. Unfortunately. Yeah. A missed opportunity by the AMC company. Yeah. Do you remember, you're too young, but there was Le Car. Le Car. Yeah. Le Car. And uh, it, was, it was a ridiculous looking car. And it said on the side of the car, in huge letters, Le Car. In case you weren't sure what it was. Yeah. My cousin had one of those. She had a lay car. I think she got it for her high school graduation, if I'm not mistaken. My aunt got her a lay car. Such a goofy looking thing. It has a, Re- a Renault? Yeah. I think that's how you say it. Renault? Yeah, it's French. Renault. It's French. But it's, a, it's just plastered lay car, car on, the side yeah. of the, on the side of the car. 
<laughs> well, I love the ads for it too. Well, what are the ads? Well, you've got one. It's a a couple driving on the beach. The girlfriend is, you know, her wife is hanging out the side. She's got the number ones up on her finger. She's giving the number ones. Seagulls. They're literally right on the water, and it just says "Le Car of the Year." Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, another one again. Couple sitting by the side of the road. Le sports car. Oh, my God. I would never describe this thing as a sports oh, car. Oh, absolutely not. What What did the... um? Does it have, how, you know, how long the car was around? Let's see. Because so, this would have been in, in, like, my cousin, I think, got in, like, 79. Because we both graduated. I graduated grade school, and she graduated high school on the same, basically the same week. Yeah, let's see. Well, I'm looking this at... This would have been seeing, 79, yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing some more ads here. You've got one. It's a Le Car Van. Oh, no. Which should realistically just be called Le Van? Wouldn't you think? Right. But, it, I mean, it's still about the same size. It's just a hatchback. And they call it a van? Yeah, Le Car Van. And How is that a van? I don't know. Maybe because it can carry more stuff. It looks like it's just got the two seats. And it's a hatchback, red kind of velvet interior. Oh, man. And the ad says, Le Wow. <laughs> Jalopnik.com says, This Renault Le Car van is the tiny French sex van you deserve. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Le Car. That was something right there. All right, next one mentioned in this article. We're talking about ugly cars, the ugliest cars of all time. The 1946 Crosley CC. Crosley's miniature cars proved popular during the gas rationing of World War II, and when peace resumed, they were ready to with a new car called the CC. It's one of the first production cars to use a slab-sided design with no running boards. One look makes you wonder how the trend ever caught on. With its squashed visage and undersized wheels, the Crosley looked more like a toy than a car. Um, under the toilet seat cover hood <laughs> um, sat uh, a new stamped steel overhead camshaft engine, which proved to be every bit as troublesome as its uh, it container, as, as the container was ugly. As the prosperity after the war, the Crosley uh, was left behind. Oh, boy. Let's see. Here's uh, Trucker Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, Nick. I had a car. You did? Yes. I thought it was a great little car. I mean, it was cheaper than a Yugo and better than a Yugo. Uh-huh. I mean, I drove it for, for years. I got 55 miles a gallon, you know, and had a cloth sunroof, air conditioning, a little five-speed. It was pretty good on good good on fuel, and it was and around town. It was like a go kart, you know. I mean, you yeah. could whip around corners, and you know. I remember it was a tiny car. car. I, I remember it was, yeah. it was really tiny, and it just said "Lay Car" on the side. Yep, and it came with three extra sets of keys too, <laughs> in case you lost one. <laughs> That's hilarious, Rich. All right, thanks, yeah. thanks, and, buddy. And, and, and what was funny is, as small as it is, I was. I'm six foot one, so you know you crawl out of that. People yeah. get a mouth you, then you crawl out of it, and you put your you know 
it comes up to your waist or, you know, not really, but, you know, yeah. it just looks super small when you're standing next to it. But yeah. it was a good little car. Okay. All I right. I think it's considered. Okay, Rich. Thanks, buddy. Yep. Yep. Bye-bye. Imagine taking that thing into the shop. Oh, they'd laugh at you. Oh, no doubt. I, you know, you take it oh, in there. Oh, look at this guy with his lay car. <laughs> hey, buddy, you got a lay problem with your uh, lay uh, drive shaft there, bud. Uh, We're going to have to replace the wheels. How about a 1951 Allard P2 Safari? Considered an ugly, one of the ugliest cars. There are very few things in life we simply cannot wrap our heads around, and this is one of them. We thought it was a good idea. Who thought it was a good idea to graft the front of a sports car onto the back of a woody wagon? British automaker Allard did, and the results are every bit as revolting as one might expect. Production estimates for this Ford-powered eyesore range between 10 and 13, some five of which are known to exist. We imagine the rest were destroyed by mobs with torches and pitchforks. The Allard P2 Safari. Considered one of the ugliest cars ever. How about this? 1958 Ford Thunderbird. Uh, the year 1958 was a bad one for styling at FOMOCO. And the Thunderbird is possibly the most aggrieved victim. We all know what the 1955 Thunderbird looked like. A cleanly styled two-seat roadster. That was refreshingly free of chrome gigaws. Uh, Ford put that to the temporary end in 1958, replacing the original with the this oversized, over-adorned four-seat schlockmobile that practically dripped with 1950s excess. Sales soared, which only proves that tastelessness knows no temporal bounds. Fortunately, sanity was restored with the elegant lines of the third and fourth generation Thunderbirds, which were truly beautiful cars, and the 58 Thunderbird remains one of Ford's most hated cars, and deservedly so. I got to see what the Ford, because I, I always thought the Thunderbird was a really cool-looking car. I guess I just don't uh, remember seeing the 58 model. But I always thought Thunderbirds were pretty cool. So... Uh, 312-981-7200. Ugly cars. Tom, do you ever own an ugly car? Hmm. I don't, uh, I guess the, I, I used to drive a 98 Saturn. I don't know if it was ugly, but it was certainly outdated. Mm-hmm. It was tape deck, no CD, you know, thing. The, uh, <laughs> the radio, the, the radio antenna was like bent at a 90 degree angle. Yeah. And, um. It was a uh, it was uh, a coupe, yeah. That's a coupe because it's two doors, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was just the two doors, and me and my girlfriend are both rel- pretty tall people. I'm six four. She's uh, about five ten. So we're we're both pretty big people, and it was just a nightmare to get me into. I bet it was like a clown car. I bet. And there was once we had to drive uh, a piece of furniture back from Des Moines, Iowa. It was oh. like a, it was like a <laughs> it was like a big ottoman that we stuffed oh. we stuffed in the back because you got the two seats in the back we stuffed it back there and I swear my knees were in my chest yeah for about five five and a half hours oh. with traffic that's terrible it was unreal and uh, 
just terrible. It was just a terrible drive. She she was a good car. She tried. She did her best. Yeah, you know. But that thing we had to get rid of because of the emissions testing. You know, you take you take it into the emissions testing. Right. You fail. They're like, all right, go to this mechanic. Show them these error codes or whatever. Guy says, listen, man, I'd have to replace the entire transmission, and that's more than this car is worth. Right. I think we sold it to a CarMax because we could not get rid of it. No one would buy this car. They wanted nothing to do with it because it wasn't quite yet grandfathered by the emissions thing. It was one year out of date to be grandfathered in because once a car is old enough, yeah. they can't get you with the emissions thing because it's just there's no way a car of that age would be. Right up to standards, but they can't stop you from driving it unless it's within a certain date range. So no one would buy it. We sold it to CarMax for maybe 400 bucks. The real kicker was we had just replaced the brake pads, oh, man. which cost about 400 bucks. Yeah. So we got a little, uh, little screwed on that one but yeah, sounds like she it. did her best all right uh 312-981-7200 that's the phone number uh we are talking about ugly cars i've got many more here in this article and uh, did you ever have an ugly car what's the ugliest car you've ever seen 312-981-7200 should Yeah. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Here until uh, 4 a.m. And then we head over to uh, Bradley Place and get some uh, news and entertainment and uh, information from those guys. And then back here for Bob Surratt at 5 for your morning drive. 312-981-7200. We'd love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. It's Ugly Truck Day. So uh, people are just celebrating their ugly trucks. So do you? what do you think are the ugliest cars? Did you ever own an ugly car? 312-981-7200. Let's see. Here is uh, Judy on WGN. Hi, Judy. Hi, Nick. My father learned to drive a Nash Rambler, a 49, and it had the slope roof. And lo and behold, it was a two-door. And lo and behold, we owned that car for, I'd say, almost seven years. And I was eight years old when he got his license. Fast forward 40 years later, 45 years later, I owned an AMC Concord and an AMC Hornet. The Hornet was orange in color. The Concord was blue in color. But my son's learned to drive on both of those cars. Mm. Wow. And I went from a nine-passenger station wagon down to a baby baby. <laughs> yeah. And loved it for 20 years. And when, when I, sold, I sold the car, uh, the Concord I sold to a junkyard. It was still a good runner. And I got 80 bucks for it. <laughs> wow. And I bought, I bought it for $1,000. Because my son uh, was going to a Catholic school in Milwaukee here. And I had $1,000 left from his book bill. And they, the couple I bought the car from took the thousand bucks. All right, there you go. Yeah, it was fun. Those cars were, the, and they, they're. They, I mean, when you see them on the road now, they look like they're classic cars, you know. And I, I really wanted to get classic plates for it, but my husband says we'll wait to get a good car and then we'll get the classic plates. Oh, there you go. All right, Judy. Thanks. Take care, Dick. Bye. Right, see you. Uh, let's see. Here's Gail on WGN. Hi, Gail. 
Hello, Nick. Uh, I had an acquaintance who was a struggling actor back in the year 2000, and he was hired to do a commercial for a car that they told him was going to be the car of the millennium, and he was going to do a whole series of these ads. Yeah, an Aztec. Ah, yes. The Aztec. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was, uh, he said, yeah, it wasn't the car of the millennium. But he did the commercials and got paid, so. Well, that's good. <laughs> I know. That's good. <laughs> but okay. They wanted to give him one, and he wouldn't take it. <laughs> well, he, wouldn't no, take the, he wouldn't take the car? <laughs> no, he says, I have a Jeep. <laughs> oh. Yeah. All right, so Gail. Even he, even he knew. Yeah. All right, Gail, thanks. Thanks. All right. Uh, I guess my Ford Escort was ugly. You know? I ran that thing into the ground. As I did every car I've ever owned. What year was that Escort? 86. 86 gray Ford Escort. Let me, t- let me tell oh, you something. Oh, boy. <laughs> let me tell you something. You want to pick up chicks? Get yourself an 86 Ford Escort gray. Yeah, buddy. Uh... <laughs> That is very 1986. I'll say that much. Yeah. What was the worst decade for car look, you think? Man, that's a, that's tough. You know, probably the 80s. Probably the 80s. I thought the 70s were cool. I know a lot of people might pick the 70s as the worst time period for what cars looked like, but I thought the 70s, I think there were a lot of cool-looking cars in the 70s. I think the 80s were probably the worst. 60s were cool. Obviously, the 50s were awesome. Um, here's Deborah on WGN. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Nick. Well, I I did drive um, one of the ugly cars, as they state. However, I thought the car was adorable. It is the Suzuki X90, and and that's on the internet in your list. I had it for nine years. I enjoyed every moment of it, but of course, people would tease me and ask where the back of it was, or I only had half a car or something, but I liked the T-tops. I thought it was great. Mm, Okay. All right. So you liked it, Deborah. That's all that counts. Indeed, yes. Okay. Thank you, Deborah. Take care. All right. How about the uh, 1958 Lincoln Continental? With its canted headlights near vertical body sides and the ridiculous concave treatment given to the front fenders, the 1958 Lincoln gave the impression of taking up as much space as possible for absolutely no good reason. If you really want to laugh, check out the short video comparing Lincoln's styling uh, to the 58 Cadillac, which itself was no prize. We love the disdain in the announcer's voice every time he talks about uh, the caddy. Can you find this? I want to hear this. Uh, I want to hear this. Lincoln tweaked the styling in 1959 and 1960, uh, making it slightly worse each time. By the 1961 Lincoln that replaced this monstrosity was one of the prettiest cars the division had ever made. Can you find this uh, this short video of the uh, 1958 Lincoln Continental? And they compare it to the 58 Cadillac. And uh, I just want to hear it because they said we love the disdain in the announcer's voice every time he talks about the caddy. (laughs) So it's the 1958 Lincoln Continental. 
uh, short video. Were you able to? Were you able to find it, Tom? Um, let me do a little digging here. We'll oh, get there. Okay. All right. Let's see. Here is uh, Jason on WGN. Hey, Jason. Hey, how you doing? All right. What's up? Oh wow! Just uh, listening to your show and just about uh, ugly cars and uh, uh, your man talked to me about the Escort and uh, yeah, we uh, we had a few dis- uh, disasters with the Escort. Uh, my dad worked for the Ford Motor Company for 37 years. We bought one brand new in 1982, fully loaded, mm-hmm. just over $9,000. And uh, getting like 20-some miles to the gallon, you know, the first six months. And then it was it was getting like 12 miles to the gallon. Uh, it, it just, it, it, there was a lot of problems with them. And, and when we would go to the dealer, the... The guy, even the the service manager, just you know, they almost just they were over their head. Yeah. It was over engineered because of what was going on at the time with the gas crisis, and you know, uh, they just the the companies ran in too quick. You know, uh, you know the Dodge Omni, remember that the Plymouth Horizon, sure. Yeah, same thing. Uh, my, my wife's family took a Plymouth Horizon back in 1985 down to Florida with five people in it from Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> with wow. their luggage, with and their... it made it. <laughs> and it made it. Okay. All right, Jason. Thanks, man. Thanks, bro. All right. Ford Escort again. Fascinating car. He had the '82. They had the '82 model. I had the '86. I don't know if there was an in, any kind of improvement. We can only hope. <laughs> I had the car for a long time, though. Yeah. Almost 10 years. Yeah. I had a friend that used to drive a stick shift, 1993. Uh, it was a Toyota. I can't remember for the life of me what model it was. But he was the only kid in, in our school that drove a stick shift. And that thing was a piece of crap. It was terrible. We used to drive to school every day. And- you know what kind of car I learned to drive stick in? What kind? Porsche. You got to be kidding. Not me. kidding. What kind of Porsche? Do you remember? Um, no, I don't. It was my ex girlfriend's. But it was a, a pretty slick. Yeah, no, slick it was speaker. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. This oh, was like wow. in eighty five or six or something like that. Yeah, it was my ex girlfriend's. How'd she get the? Did she just bought the, she, bought a Porsche, big in the cars. She came from money. Ah, I <laughs> see. Yeah, so she's like, I go, I don't know how to drive stick, and she's like, get in, get in. I'm gonna teach you. And I learned how to drive stick in a Porsche. Did you have trouble with the whole clutch thing? Oh, of course. That's always that's always the toughest part. Is oh that. no, no, of now course. Three you, pedals. You could smell me coming when I first started. <laughs> when I first when I first started trying to learn how to do the stick, and she, and she was very patient, even though I was like, man, I can't, I don't want to ruin your Porsche. This is a Porsche. She's like, whatever, Dad'll fix it. I guess. Hey, honey, do you smell that? That I felt like a terrible stench. Felt like Joel Goodson. <laughs> it was 1986. It could have been like an 84 or something like that. A couple of years old. Yeah. Now, did you find the commercial? I did. The 1958 Lincoln versus Cadillac. All right. This is a real treat. There's the 1958 Lincoln. Clean, aristocratic, modern styling, truly distinctive. There's the Cadillac. 
The styling concept is completely different, old-fashioned. <laughs> Hardly distinguishable from the rest of the General Motors line. <laughs> and here's the Lincoln from the front. Again, clean-lined, modern, and distinctive. But look at the Cadillac in comparison. <laughs> Fussy and very similar to other General Motors cars. Here's the Lincoln from the rear. And the Cadillac. From whatever angle you view these cars, Lincoln's styling is obviously more distinctive. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I, I don't know. I wish I could have driven a caddy back in the day. Oh, I, I love Cadillacs. Boy, they were big. Yeah. My they grandma drove a Cadillac. Huge cars. The 70s had to be a time when the, when the cars were just massive. But that, if you ask me, that was my that's my favorite era of how cars looked. It was like the big, crazy gas guzzlers? Yeah. Or like, well, I mean, that's, if you ask me, from like late 60s through most of the 70s is the heyday of the, the muscle car. And oh, I yeah. No, I would, I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah. I would muscle agree with cars, that. Sometimes you'll catch those guys who are collectors out on the road, especially when you're driving to Iowa or something, just guys taking it out for yeah, a spin yeah, on, yeah. The, on the interstate. Mm-hmm. God, they're beautiful. Yep. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We're talking about ugly cars. What are some of the uglier cars that you've owned? 312-981-7200 here on 720 WGN. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. Uh, coming up, we got uh, classic Johnny Carson. We always play the classic Johnny Carson bits every morning at 2.30. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every weeknight, on uh, every night actually, on Antenna TV. Uh, and we're going to play back a clip where Johnny bombs a sketch. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke later on, and we're going to talk about... Uh, crop circles and the mystery that they bring right now we're talking about ugly cars and uh what cars do you have that were ugly and the news is next from the northwestern medicine newsroom here's susan on wgn hi susan hey nick hey. i have six words for you mm-hmm. baby blue ford pinto station wagon oh man need i say more oh man a pinto station wagon Mm-hmm. Baby blue. Oh, how did that work out? Uh, well, we didn't want to be seen in it in, in it as kids. <laughs> My parents owned it. Wow. That's, that's, I think that says it all. Yeah, I think it does. I think I all think right. I think everybody got the picture. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. All right, Susan. Take care. Bye. Jeez. All right. How about the? Um, 1965 Rambler AMC Marlin. Um, it just seems to me that AMC made a lot of ugly cars. For some reason, the, the AMC pops up a lot in the ugly cars. 1965 Rambler AMC Marlin. Many people dismiss the Marlin as a badly executed ripoff of the fastback Dodge Charger. But in fact... The Marlin beat the Charger to the market by a year. But while the Charger got the proportions right, 
American Motors Marlin got them completely wrong. What's remarkable about the Marlin is not that it's ugly, but that it's ugly from every angle. <laughs> uh, this is there is simply no viewpoint from which this car looks good. And then they've got they posted a whole bunch of photos. Sales of the Fastback Charger were bad, but Marlin sales were even worse. Uh, and bar, by the way, sorry for making you look at five more photos of the Marlin. <laughs> Ugly car. 312-981-7200. Here's Dean on WGN. Hi, Dean. Hey, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's up? Good. Hey, hey uh, you know you're talking about AMC, yeah. you know, American Motors, and they hit it big in the late 60s. When they had the Javelin and the AMX, those were really, really great-looking cars. But then my dad, and we still got it, my brothers got it, ugliest car, and you can get it on YouTube, was the AMC Pacer, the bubble car. Oh, sure. And then I think the ugliest one was about mid-'70s, too, was the AMC Matador. And I don't know how much farther after that AMC was even in business. Well, but that Matador AM, made that one. AMC is uh, Matador is, is mentioned in this article. It is okay. Yeah, as, okay. One the, as one of the ugliest yeah. cars of all time. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. If yeah. you look up, and there is a YouTube on that AMC Javelin where it shows like you can. It was wide, and you could drive like a Pinto inside it or a Vega inside it. But there's a YouTube thing on the uh-huh. on the uh, on that. But yeah, that was the ugliest ones we ever had. But uh-huh. I had them all. I I had uh, when when I was growing up, I had a Corvair, a 1960 Corvair. I had an early '63 Dodge Dart push button automatic, but had some good ones yeah. over the years. Some stent, some some uh, some classic uh, classic cars. All right, Dean, thank you. You're welcome, Nick. Right, Have a good care. night. All right, you too, buddy. Um, yeah, AMC made some ugly cars. When did they 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 finished up somewhere around 1990? I, I yeah I don't know yeah apparently they were renamed the Jeep Eagle Corporation in 1988 and then merged into Chrysler 1990. Um, how about the 1970 Marcos Mantis M70? What? If we had to nominate one vehicle as the ugliest car in the world, it's this visual crime here. Few of Marco's engineering's cars particularly were attractive, but the Mantis achieves a level of hideousness rarely seen on four wheels. Everything about this car is wrong, from the lumpy lines to the poor proportions to the disconcerting details. We can't even accuse the designers of being blind because you can practically smell how ugly the Mantis is. Amazingly, Marcos managed to sell 32 of these monstrosities in a two-year period. Uh, we didn't know it was possible to blackmail so many people at once. Is there a picture of this one? Yeah. The so there's a few iterations of the Marcos Mantis. Marcos Mantis M70 and M70. All right. Yeah. It is. It kind of looks like a praying mantis. If a praying mantis could be a car. What? Uh. <laughs> so the the hood of it is very kind of sharp it's got that sharp front you know it almost looks like a blade right across the the grill uh-huh uh two little ugly headlights that just like they look like eyes they look like bug eyes <laughs> um it slopes up into this weird sort of curve and you get your windshield then another curve all around the top it's got the curved top 
and back around a little bit like a pacer, where it's got just that kind of bubbly yeah. that bubbly back window. Yeah. But it kind of it really just kind of looks like a poorly designed electric razor. <laughs> I just that's that's the one thing that pops to mind is that if you went to the dollar store and bought an electric razor, this is what I imagine it would kind of look like. Okay. That's the Marco Mantis. Uh, somebody just mentioned it. Another caller just mentioned the AMC Matador. This is the 1974 AMC Matador. The Matador was clearly designed as an American interpretation of the classic European sports coupes, and yet it is the consummate ugly American, fat, excessive, lazy, and proud of it. Its awkwardly bulbous body houses mechanical bits of the most vapid and awkwardly uh, or insipid ilk. Pushrod V8, column shift automatic, uh, live axle with leaf springs. Everything that was wrong with the 70s American car design is wrapped up in this clunker from Kenosha. And the sad part is that it actually drew praise for its design, proving to borrow a line from the dinner scene in uh, Scent of a Woman that maybe God thinks some people don't deserve to see. (laughs) Uh. The 1975 Triumph TR7. I always thought Triumph were pretty cool-looking cars. Maybe it was just this one. My dad had a Triumph Spitfire. Uh, The Triumph TR7 was a British sports car aimed at the American market, and the story goes that its thick roof pillars and gun-slit windows were designed in anticipation of a U.S. rollover standards that never materialized. Richard Porter, the author of Sniff Patrol, Petrol, and former top, head, top Gear writer, surmised that uh, British Leyland's strategy was to build a car so ugly that the ground would repel it. Happily, most TR7s quickly rusted to the point of compromising their structural integrity, sparing future generations the sight of this terrible triumph. Yeah, I, that is not a pretty car. The Triumph TR7, 1975. Yeah, and I'll say this. I've never been a fan of the pop-up lights, you know, like yep. on a car if they, you know, come like Porsche. out. Yeah, Porsche. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. I think that's kind of an ugly feature. It's super, at least now, it's super dated. Okay. Are you, were you ever a fan of Top Gear? Did you ever watch it? Oh, Top yeah. Gear? Oh, yeah, Show Rules. Jackass with Cars. It, that Show Rules. <laughs> I, when they would do marathons of it, I would just sit in front of the t- I'd fit, sit in front of the TV for hours and just watch Top Gear. That show was great. You don't even have to like cars to like that show. No, it's awesome, it's and so the guys awesome. on it were hilarious. Yeah, no, I love that show. I'm not even, and, I, and again, I am as far from a gearhead as you can possibly imagine. You know what I mean? I haven't owned a car in 20 years. You know. Um. How about the 1976 Aston Aston Martin Lagona? Modern-day Aston Martins are the stuff of dreams, so it's a bit hard to understand how they came up with something so unpleasant. With the Lagona sedan, it looks like an 80s-era Chevrolet Caprice that went four rounds with a rolling pin and lost. If you've ever wondered why this publication has been restrained in its criticism of Aston Martin rap, uh, rap-eyed, well, now you know. Can you see this one, too? 
Yeah, this is a. Uh, it looks like it did get in a fight with a rolling pin. Is that right? Yeah, it's like weirdly flattened. It's weirdly, weirdly fun. And Aston Martins are beautiful cars. Oh, absolutely. They're beautiful, beautiful cars, except whatever the heck this is. James Bond one has one. Yeah, I think there's a reason that James uh, Bond didn't drive this thing. In that particular model? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm guessing Miss Money Penny saw, took one look at that, and was just like, nope. Uh, you know, get a different one. All right, uh, I, I, there's more here. There's more ugly cars here that we want to get through. And uh, the phone lines are open if you have an ugly car or had an ugly car and you would like to share the story with us or what it looked like. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. More ugly car talk after the news, which is now. Gotta love the Dan. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago here till 4 as we are every weekday morning. It's a Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke, as he does every Monday, because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Also, we play back some uh, classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. And so we're going to play back um, uh, some classic comedy from uh, Johnny Carson. Johnny bombs a sketch. <laughs> uh, crop circle mysteries. We're going to jump into that, too, and some embarrassing work stories. Right now, we're having some fun here talking about some of the ugliest cars of all time. Today is a Ugly Truck Day. <laughs> I wasn't aware that that was a thing. You learn something new every day on this show. So we're talking about ugly cars. What are some of the ugliest cars you ever saw or you've ever had? 312, what? I was going to say, I think those Scion cars are probably some of the ugliest I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Or any car that is shaped like a box. I think there's a Ford, the Ford Flex. That was a thing in the 70s, though. The the square very boxy car? Ca- yeah, very boxy cars. <sighs> yeah, but the, the only thing that the Ford Flex has is that it has a fridge in it. It's a fridge. It's in got it. a mini fridge in it. Why? For for your pop, for your colas. Uh huh. All right. I don't know if I understand that. So, uh, ugliest cars ever. Let's see. Uh, the 1976 Rolls Royce uh, Camargue. It was launched. Rolls Royce touted the eight-year development. Of its innovative split-level automatic climate control system. <clears throat> Apparently, they spent so much time on the air conditioner that they forgot about the exterior design. Rolls farmed out the design to Pinaferina, which must have been harboring some post-World War II resentment because what they sent back was uh, awful. Up front, it replaced the classic... Rolls facade with a stupid wide-eyed stare, while rear styling seems to have been inspired by the contemporary 
European market Ford Escort. Amazingly, Rolls kept this monstrosity in production for 11 years before replacing it with the Silver Spirit. <clears throat> uh, the 1982 Cadillac Cimarron. In retrospect, we know that Cadillac's decision to turn the Chevy Cavalier into a luxury car was the beginning of the end for the brand that once called itself the standard of the world. But let's not get so wrapped up in that story that we forget that what a visual turd the Cimarron was. As a Cavalier, the J-Body wasn't bad looking, uh, it wasn't a bad-looking economy car. It was trim and modern and right for the times. But gussied up as a Cadillac, no, no, no. As a Cadillac, the Cimarron was small and chintzy and completely lacking in the design, artistry, and sophistication one expects from an upstyle car. Uh, viewed through the luxury lens, the Cimarron was pathetic and ugly. Can you find that one, Tom? Cadillac Cimarron, 1982 model. <clears throat> oh, boy. Yeah, uh, chintzy is definitely the word I would use to describe it. If you're looking at it, you're, you don't see Cadillac, right? It does no. not scream Cadillac. No, no, no. I mean, Cadillacs... They're they're a very specific style of car, like big. You just you just think you're big. Cadillac. They're not as big as they used to be. No, I mean no, in the seventies, man. I mean well, they were yeah. ridiculously big in the seventies. But even even more modern Cadillacs have that nice big wide f- like face on it, mm-hmm. you know. And even talk about the Escalade. That was a car. Yeah, I used to be obsessed with Cadillac Escalades. Really? Yeah, I thought they were so cool. Wow. I had the little Matchbox, you know. Or Hot Wheels, whatever. Uh, Cadillac Escalade. And it had uh, kind of exaggerated wheels and big shiny rims. Thought it was the coolest car I'd ever seen. Wow. But yeah, this is not this is not a Cadillac. All right. How about the 1989 Alfa Romeo SZ? Alfa Romeo SZ from 1989. When it comes to Italian cars, beautiful design is almost a given. So how the hell did this happen? With its flat planes, odd proportions, and a weird change in belt line angle for and alt of the of the B-pillar, the Sprint Zagato looks like it was designed to be a Lego model rather than uh, a car. It's almost if someone, as if someone accidentally put the prototype into a compactor and threw the switch before realizing their mistake. Um, And rather than fix it, they put uh, the partially crust alpha into production. What does that one look like? It it does look like a Lego car. It's it's weirdly square, especially for Alfa Romeo. And Alfa Romeo is a pretty nice looking car most of the time. Yeah. And uh, it just got, it kind of looks like it's, the front looks like a puckered face. Well, that's pleasant. Yeah. (laughs) All right. How about the 1990 Chevrolet Lumina APV slash Oldsmobile slash Pontiac? Ah, the Dust Buster vans. Probably the ugliest cars GM ever made until the Pontiac Aztec stole the title uh, a decade later. Trying to make the minivan look futuristic and unique was an admirable goal. 
but it turns out that people bought boxy vans because they're, you know, boxy. And sticking to anteater nose in the front didn't add to the appeal. Piloting one felt like driving in from the back seat. And anything that slid down the dashboard couldn't be retrieved without removing the windshield. <laughs> oh, wow. GM spread the love over three divisions with the Chevrolet Lumina APV, Oldsmobile Silhouette, and Pontiac Transport. All three became among the most hated cars in America, and they deserved every bit of it. The ugly? Oh, yeah. Well, especially I remember the Pontiac Transport. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine, his his parents drove uh, a Pontiac Transport, and that thing was just ungodly. <laughs> it was just it was just so gross looking, and I don't know. It's I didn't come from a family of particularly fancy cars. You know, my dad drove like a nice Jeep. Mm-hmm. That was about, and then later in life, he drove a Porsche Cayenne, which I think is one of the worst cars ever designed. I hated that car. I had to drive that, drive him in that car all the time. Mm. But this thing is just, it is unwieldy. Okay. It's unwieldy. All right. More ugly cars. Did you ever have a really ugly car? 312-981-7200, like embarrassed to drive down the street in it? Like worse than a clown car? 312-981-7200. This is a very funny article. We're bringing back memories of really terrible looking cars. All right, give us a call. 312-981-7200. White Snake. It's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. Um, We're live in the uh, Skyline studio. And uh, we're wrapping up the the topic here of ugliest cars ever made. How about the 1992 Buick Skylark? How about the 1995 Oldsmobile Aurora? I don't remember that one. I always thought that that might have been the worst name for a car company. Oldsmobile. Oldsmobile? Who would want to buy anything called an Oldsmobile? We had an Oldsmobile growing up. I just, it's not, I'm sure they're great cars. It's just not a great name. Where do they come up with some of the names of these cars, though? Like, here's one the 1998 Fiat Multipla. What, how, how do you come up with that? The Multipla is one of the few award-winning cars on, the, on this list. Only the awards it has are all in the ugliest car variety. There is so much wrong with the design that one can while away the hours finding new things to make fun of. A hood that looks like it's been sat upon. A pacer-like devotion to fishbowl glass. An overall impression, someone sawed the two cars in half and stuck them on top of one another. The interior is no better. All the gauges and controls are crammed on the center stack, giving the appearance of a Fisher-Price toddler activity board. <laughs> that's, that's been attacked with a razor blade. <laughs> the multipla 
um, is so far out that even the French thought it was awful. This is really, truly one of the ugliest cars in the world. Did, did, can you find this one? Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it. Is it How, how bad is it? It's it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It looks like it has a forehead. Uh-huh. It's just... Oh, my God. The multipla. The fi- Fiat, right? Fiat, Fiat 1998 Fiat multipla. Well, you know what Fiat stands for, right? Uh, I do not. Fix it again, Tony. Oh, please. Is that, they, got that, they, they have that one for... Uh... Isn't Ford another one that they they use something like that, that a joke like that? Um. Yeah. Let's see. Two thousand four Xfinity QX five six. The Nissan Armada, on which. Infinity's Mondo-sized SUV was based, wasn't a bad-looking vehicle. So how did this QX56 end up being so ugly? The low headlight, the tall grille, suggested a Neanderthal-like visage and its accompanying cognitive inabilities, while the roof line arched above the doors and flat over the cargo area recalled the cobbled-together look of a 1955 Nash Rambler cross-country. In a time where people were starting to resent the rich... The QX56 gave the other 99% something else to hate. Infinity redesigned the QX56 in 2011 and managed to make it even less attractive. Uh, But the latest iteration, now called the QX80, is less of an assault to the eyes. So here's some alternate meanings for Ford, some alternate... Uh, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Ford, fix or repair daily. Fast, <laughs> fast only rolling downhill. What? <laughs> oh, my God. Forced on reluctant drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, fireball on rear denting. Uh, let's see. Funny old rattling dump. Oh, boy. Who's coming up with this stuff? People with a lot of time. Yeah, or Ford's only run downhill, but I think the one is fix or repair daily. That's the that's the, that's definitely yeah, the one. That's it. How about the 2007 Jeep Compass? Don't Jeeps look pretty much all the same? Am I nuts or? Generally speak, I mean, some of them You had a Jeep. Doors. Your dad had a Jeep. Yeah, back in, back in the late 90s. Um yeah, I mean, they, they haven't changed drastically over the years, I would say. Mm. They still kind of look the same. I'm always thrown off by the ones that don't have doors on them. Well, yeah. A, a buddy of mine had a, had, a, had a Jeep like that. And uh, he would pick me up for, like, um, rehearsals and stuff because he was an actor. Just ha- hop in the Jeep, man. Just hop right in. I was not pleased. Yeah, I don't like that idea. I mean, maybe if you're driving it on, like, the beach and stuff, if you live in, I don't know, North Carolina. we're driving down Ashland, so that's a little bit. A little far from the beach. Yeah. (laughs) It's a sea of cars, man. Um, 2012 Mini Cooper. Oh, I love Mini Coopers. I think they're adorable. 2012 Mini Cooper Coupe. 
The folly of BMW's plans to expand the Mini Cooper into an entire range of cars became apparent in 2011 when they first showed their two-seat Cooper Coupe. It was designed to look like a kid wearing a baseball cap backwards, and it proved to do to be every bit as annoying as kids tend to be. The Cooper Coupe drove well enough, as most Minis do, but the ridiculous-looking roof shaved precious headroom and obliterated the rear view. And while the lack of a bad back seat made an impractical car to even less usable, Mini killed it after 2015. It has been missed by exactly no one. I guess I don't remember this one. I mean, I like the Mini Cooper in general. Yeah, this is not. It looks like the classic Mini Cooper, but like they said, the the top is shaved down, so um, the headroom would definitely be a problem. But the classic Mini Cooper. Oh, I love the Mini Cooper. It's a good looking car. Yeah, very British. Then they have a. Uh, like a chase scene with Mini Coopers and yeah, uh, the Italian job, the Italian job, right? Both of them, yeah. yeah. That was that was their that really that's still their claim to fame is the Mini Cooper chase scene in uh, the Italian job. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Yeah, I like the Mini Cooper. My uh, ex mother in law had one. How about the 2014 Jeep Cherokee. Again, this is a, a Jeep Cherokee. Don't they all pretty much look the same? Uh, were they drastically different? Was this one drastically different? Uh, yeah. It this, is? It looks like a Jeep, but it's like squinting hard to read a paper or something like that. What? It's got it's got these very thin headlights. Mm-hmm. Do they open up? No, like they're just they're just kind of like these two little thin headlights on the side. On the I, side? Well, not on the side. I mean, it's the front, but, you know, they're, they just look ridiculous. Like I said, it looks like a, a Jeep that's trying really hard to read. It needs glasses. It's a Jeep that needs glasses. It's a Jeep that needs glasses. It's a squinting Jeep. And then finally, the 2018 Rolls-Royce Cullinan. When Rolls-Royce announced an SUV, the world braced itself. We figured it might be a, a little dull. Uh, in derivative, like the Bentley Bentayga, Bentega, but no one was prepared for the assault on the ocular senses with which the Rolls-Royce presented this. It's a monstrosity with every poor Rolls-Royce-style cliche grafted onto a body that likely came from a box-stamped contents, one big generic-looking SUV. Top Gear host Chris Harris famously said it looks like a Chinese knockoff of a Rolls-Royce, and we can't come up better with a better assessment. To be fair, we did enjoy driving it, but largely because once inside, uh, you don't have to look on the outside. Do you, are you seeing this one? Yeah, it just looks like a, a big Rolls Royce, but not in a good way. Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce, they shouldn't be making SUVs. Yeah, I don't see why they need to. They're luxury cars. Who's going to buy a Rolls Royce SUV? Who's going to buy a Rolls Royce, honestly? Rich people. That's true. I think down where, when I was in college, because I used to go to the downtown campus not far from here for Loyola, they have a luxury car dealership. And you'd frequently see Ferraris out there, you know, Rolls Royces, mm-hmm. uh, Bentleys here and there. Beautiful cars, but uh, felt scary to walk. I, I felt nervous walking by them. Just in case. I, I used to, when I, I grew up basically at Addison and Lincoln, 
and around the corner on Lincoln, southbound on Lincoln, as you're walking towards Belmont, there was a real fancy car dealership, indoor car dealership. Um, during the blizzard of 79, roof collapse. Filled with unbelievably expensive cars. I think it was a blizzard of 79. It could have been some other time. But yeah, I mean, these really, you can't get much fancier. And the roof just, boom, right on top of every car. So crazy. I hope they had insurance. I'm sure they did. You can't, you're going to sell Rolls Royces and Porsches and stuff without insurance. But yeah, the whole thing. I remember walking past there. I didn't know it. You know, I hadn't known it happened. But I was walking. I was walking down Lincoln Avenue as I was wont to do all the time. And they had like tape around the building, and I was like, "What's going on?" And then I looked through the windows, and there's the there's the roof right on top of a bunch of cars. So, all right, ugly cars. There you go. How do you feel about crop circles, Tom? Are you fascinated by them? I honestly am. I'm terrified of them. Seriously, very terrified of them. So, did you like that stupid M, M. Night Shyamalan movie? I I didn't just like it. I love it. Oh come on! I love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's probably the best one he's ever made. No, dead serious. No. Well, he's he hasn't made. I mean, I, I personally, Split is is the movie that I really like, and it's ninety five percent because of McAvoy. McAvoy's great in that movie. What the hell was the sequel? Glass. Glass. Which was not good, but he was good in it. He was. Yes. Come on, man. Signs? It it hit me at a young age. Oh. It hit me at a young age. All right. Well, we're talking crop circles. They're real. We're going to get into some of that conspiracy stuff here that we love to talk about in the middle of the night. 312-981-7200. Have you ever seen a crop circle? And uh, and uh, do, you, do you get freaked out? So, all right. Uh, that's coming up here at around 720 WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and um, we're live in the Skyline studio here on a Monday morning. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey-jokey time. And uh, we got some classic Johnny Carson that we're going to play back. Johnny bombs during a sketch, which is always funny. And you can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and you should. We're also going to talk about embarrassing work stories. Right now, though, uh, crop circles are back in the news. And Tom, what is it about crop circles that scare you or freak you out so much or find so fascinating? Well, there's two things about it that really freak me out that, you know, obviously people look into this and some, you know, they come up with explanations one way or the other. But one, it's the it's the precision of it, the precision of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, whether it is man-made or something else... It's freaky to think that anything could create an image like that in a in a cornfield or in some sort of farm field. Mm-hmm. So whatever the explanation is, I'm stunned and kind of unnerved by its precision. Two, 
it's frequent that when these crop circles circles are found, there's elevated rates of radiation. Okay. Which throws me off a little bit. That's what kind of pushes me into that, like, I don't know what's going on here sort of thing, because that's a consistent thread that they've found. But uh, I just I just like the phenomenon. I like the phenomenon of this sort of thing. Especially, like, or even when people find, uh, you know, like they see religious figures in like a, a wet stain on the wall or something like that. It's kind of an interesting idea that you find these symbols in different places. There used to be um, a stain on one of the viaducts by Lakeshore Drive that was like the Virgin Mary. And people would like show up and... Uh, and like leave, they would leave candles and stuff there, um, and they would drive. It was like the traffic. I think it was at. I'm pretty sure it was at Fullerton and Lakeshore Drive. But I remember it was a bunch of years ago. But I remember tons of people showing up. So, um, all right, we're talking about uh, crop circles. We'll get to the stories here. Here's Rich on WGN. Go ahead, Rich. Hey. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Let me tell you a little quick story. I, I, I mentioned that it's about angels and, and how they work in a mysterious place. I just don't think I don't think I'm oh, one minute. I can't, I can't oh. understand, Rich. <laughs> I can't understand him. Uh, so I had to put him back on hold. Okay, so here's the latest. Thousands flocked to a gigantic Templar sign that suddenly appeared on a farm in, the nor- in northern France. A giant crop circle that apparently appeared out of nowhere has drawn crowds of people to a farmer's field in northern France. Um, it actually, a sign actually appeared on July 5th in a field in Vimy near Lens and has created great excitement around the area, attracting thousands of people to come and visit it. Uh, the farmer to whom these wheat crops belong, um, Gerard Brenoy, happened upon the rune while driving the tractor. I noticed that the ears of corn were lying on the ground. I thought someone had damaged my wheat overnight, but then I realized it was forming a pattern. It's well done, but we've never seen a crop circle before. We've seen it in movies. It's vandalism, but we said to ourselves, it's good for once. (laughs) Nicholas Benoit, uh, the, the farmer's son, said, they posted images of the signal on their Facebook without even knowing what it meant, which attracted a huge number of curious people to it, something that has already started to tire them out. We saw a lot of people come to the field, and we discovered that there were religious beliefs around it. People are crazy. They came to pray, explained the man. Some people tell us that it is a Templar cross, that energy flowed from the earth, and that the field was blessed and can cure multiple sclerosis. They are crazy, Nicholas said, who assures that his family... Uh, feels overwhelmed and stresses that the land remains private and it's private property. We have more people on our field and in our farm store, he says, dumbfounded. A large influx of people who came to see it caused the family to end up removing the photos from the social network and aim of, of stopping visits, but it didn't work. In the end, it is a horror. We're not a museum. The crop circles are beautiful, but for someone else. France, in fact, is a used to the appearance of mystery mysterious crop circles as they appear on a regular basis across the country. Theories abound as the origins of the circles. Uh, Some people say they are made by groups of followers in the middle of the night. Others are convinced that they are formed by alien spaceships. It is normal to see elevated levels of radiation whenever the crop circles appear. Uh, Up to now, however, they remain a mystery. 
They're so weird. Yeah. How long have they been around? Oh boy, that's a good question. That's a good question. It's been it's been a, it's been a long time. The crop, crop circles have been part of the part of the world for a long time. Do we have is Rich going to be able to speak? I think so, yeah. All right. Go ahead, Rich. Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Let me tell you a quick story. I, I said that uh, UFOs, Cupacabras, uh, a Loch Ness Monster, crop circles, they're all real. They're all tools of the angels. And, uh, they've been around for millennia. And so the story is... Uh, this guy, I'm going to give you one quick angel uh, uh, scenario uh, that was came to me. Okay, this guy, he uh, he goes to the hospital. His, well, his wife calls him. She's going to the hospital to have a baby and stuff. They live in a rural area. And, eat, and, uh, and she goes in uh, to have the baby. Oh, they're just getting started, and everything's great and glorious, and everything's wonderful. He, he walks in. He's delayed because uh, of his work. He gets to the hospital, and his uh uh, the doctor comes out and says his wife and his child are both dead. They did not make it. Um, he goes home and uh, is a long period of time over at uh, the hospital and, you know, contemplating what he's going to do. And he decided to blow his head off. He grabbed uh, his shotgun and, and decided not to do it in the house, for, you know, to not to displace his wife. And he walked out to the uh, field and uh, he found himself in a crop circle. And he realized that he didn't understand what was going on. And that crop circle uh, uh, changed his mind. It, it made him think differently at the moment that he was going to uh, um, try to commit suicide. Cause, and then he uh, walked in, and, it, and all of a sudden it started raining. And so he runs in the house, and he turns on the radio to find out the weather. And his wife's favorite song was playing. Uh, somebody saved my life tonight. He went to bed and... Uh, and he cried, and he, uh, he said, I love you, honey, you know. Uh, and that was uh, all he could do that day. Uh, but the, these things happen uh, all the time, and there are uh, all these, like I said, UFOs. Is, uh, they're all the tools of angels. Uh, all right, Rich. you gotta, you got to get a new phone, my man. <laughs> you need a new phone. All right, 312-981-7200. Thank you, Rich. So the crop circle stuff, crop circles, strange patterns that appear mysteriously overnight in farmers' fields provoke puzzlement, delight, and intrigue among uh, the press and public alike. The circles are mostly found in the United Kingdom, but have spread to dozens of countries around the world in the past decades. The mystery has inspired countless books, blogs, fan groups, researchers, um, and even Hollywood films. Despite having been studied for decades, the question remains, who or what is making them? So there really is no explanation, right? We still haven't found how these how these things happen, right? Some of them, yeah. Some of them. So I didn't know that they were most popular, mostly found in the, in the United Kingdom. I wasn't aware of that. Which is kind of interesting, because whenever I think of crop circles, I think of, like, Stonehenge, which is not, you know, obviously a crop circle, but it's just a weird thing. Yeah. That, I don't know, you know, how does how does Stonehenge happen? Have you been to Stonehenge? I have not. I wish. I would love to go to Stonehenge. Yeah, just, just to just to see it. Or the Easter, oh, yeah. Just the, or the Easter Island heads. Yeah. You know, how does, how does that happen? 
the pyramids, things like that, which, you know, we have an explanation for ostensibly. I'm not going to try to call that into question, but even if it is sheer human ingenuity, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no question about it, man. But, yeah, I would say if you've been to Stonehenge, 312-981-7200, if you've ever uh, seen some crop circles uh, and you want to jump in, we have uh, more article here about the crop circles and how they just appear mysteriously. So, I know, it's weird. Weird stuff, man. Have they made them besides besides signs? Has there ever been another movie about crop circles? That's the only one that I can think of. I'm sure they've been featured in other movies, but you know, sign the whole movie was about that. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I know you don't like it very much. No, I don't like it I, at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the only the only movie that uh, M Night Shyamalan made that I really like is Split. And it's 95% because of James McAvoy. So. Uh, all right, man. Mystery. Crop circles. What do you think? 312-981-7200. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, get back to the conversation. Nick DeCilio here on 720 WGN, and uh, we're live in the Skyline studio uh, here till 4 o'clock. It's Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. We also have some classic Johnny Carson clip that we always play every every uh, every weekday morning at 2.30. Our phone number is 312-981-7200. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Uh, we're talking about the mysterious world of the crop circles. And how they just mysteriously appear with kind of no explanation. Um, and we want to hear your thoughts on it. And, uh, yeah, some of these other mysterious things. We were talking about Stonehenge as well. So 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Here's Robert on WGN. Hey, Robert. Nick, uh, I just turned on the radio. Of course, I, I get another award-winning radio show from you. So... That's the best thing about you and WGN, but mostly you and Tom now. But anyhow, it, this reminds me of that uh, um, it, Richard Pryor did a skit one time, and he he always said that, think about this, if this was your property, would you stay living there? I mean, this is stuff that scares the bejeebies out of you. No one knows how it happens. The only way you can see it is from the air. The only way you can tell what the, what it is. I mean, when you walk out, and you've been hit, you've been in a cornfield, haven't you? That's right. You live in the city. You probably don't know. Yes, I have you, been you, in you, a cornfield, Robert. Yes. Okay, so you're on a hundred thousand acres. It's a lot, or or even three hundred acres, and all of a sudden everything is in perfect line. 
each, you know, I mean, it's very, it's very weird. How about that? And the only way you can be seen is from the air. Right. So as Richard Pryor said, when he heard a knock in the middle of the night, he said, I don't know about you, you white people can stay, but I'm out of here. So, you know, I think that right. would be a for sale sign for me. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Robert would move. Heck, I would. Stuff like that was happening in my cornfield. Yeah. I don't know if I would stick around for that. Well, you got a lot invested there. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah. okay, let's, let, I'll say this. First crop circle, I'll, I'll let that one pass. Get to the second one, maybe you start looking for a new farm. You get a third, get out. Something's going on. I got a three crop circle rule. Okay. That's just me. That's my personal opinion. I didn't realize that you had a crop circle rule. Signs scared the hell out of me as a kid. It really did. I watched it on a plane, and I was, what, that's what I was, 03 when that came out? 02? Yeah, somewhere around there. So I would have been maybe eight years old. And there's that scene where they have the news report from the kid's birthday party. That's the best, that's the only effective scene in that movie. I thought it was real. Like, for, because it was, I, I would have been flying probably to the UK from Singapore. So that's a long flight. Yeah. That's a long flight for a kid. You got signs on there. It's the middle of the night because we used to fly out at night. So when we'd wake up, we'd arrive by morning and it would help with the the jet lag. Yeah. So middle of the night, can't sleep. You see what ostensibly is a real news report as far as you're concerned. I was like, oh, man, they put it in this movie. This is crazy. I got very, very scared. I really did. Yeah. I thought I I don't like any of his movies except for Split, like I said. Um, But that scene is good. That scene on TV at the kid's birthday party, that's a very, very good scene. I will say that. Uh, Talking crop circles and other stuff, here's Jim on WGN. Hey, Jim. Hey, Nick. Good show. Thank you. I'm kind of fascinated when I follow that stuff a little bit, but there's a few things about it. Um, They've recently, on some of the crop circles, they've had barcodes actually with them and they're deciphering the barcodes and the barcodes are giving off some kind of message i don't remember exactly what it was but you know kind of like uh the day the earth stood still stuff stuff like that kind of bizarre but they had a guy that not too far from um uh some crop circles that stayed there for a while and had a camera with him and actually filmed I guess what they called and what they showed you was like a ball of energy about two to three feet off the ground that went around making the patterns of the crop circle and then like just shot straight up and disappeared. Now they got that on film with this guy doing it. The third thing that's kind of bizarre with it is, you know, they had farmers and people that went out and college kids that tried to do the prankster stuff. Well, when they do it, it breaks the crops down. The crops actually get smashed and broke down. When a, a real crop circle is done, the plants are bent over. They're not, none of them are broke. It's like a heavy wind or something blew them over. I find it fascinating. Where it's coming from, who, where, what, I'm not sure. It might even be you, Nick. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not me, Jim. Trust me. I don't have time. I don't have time for that. All right, Jim, thanks. All right, man. All right take care.
Here's Gene on WGN. Hi, Gene. Hi, Nick. So nice to talk to you again. Um, I haven't talked to you for a few years, but I love listening to you every night, and so my husband did, too. He's been gone for a number of years, but he always loved listening to you. Um, I had heard about, let me turn my radio, other radio down, uh, heard about this woman, Linda Howe, who was a science reporter, and she uh, had gone to the, the crop fields to see what it was, and she said there was a special energy there that was hard to explain. And she and they also looked into the hoaxes that two two farmers or two people thought were hoaxes about the crop fields, uh, crop circles. And these guys took some farm machinery out there and created somewhat the same type of effect. But they had it took them hours to do it. And when you think about the farmer who said. Those crop circles weren't out there the night before, and the next morning when he went out to his field the next day, they were there. Not only that, the machinery could not create the laying down effect of the crops that, you know, just created by a strong energy. So I really believe they weren't, if you want to know, I believe they were alien technology. And when you think about all the crop circles around the world, it has to be something special that we couldn't have created. Somebody also mentioned there it might have been a magnetic field creating that. So that's another possibility. Okay. A, a mag, the magnetic field of the Earth. Yeah. Okay, Gene, thanks. You're welcome. Okay. Nice seeing you. Talking Take, to you again. Bye-bye okay. now. <laughs> so um, many people believe that crop circles have been reported for centuries. A claim repeated in many books and websites devoted to the mystery. Their primary piece of evidence is a woodcut from 1678 that appears to be that shows a field of, of, of oat stalks laid out in a circle. Some say this is the first hand eyewitness account of a crop circle, but a little historical investigation shows otherwise. The woodcut actually illustrates what in folklore is called a mowing devil legend. Mowing devil? Isn't the devil with a lawnmower? What? What? It's Linda Blair with a mower. <laughs> um, in which an English farmer told a worker with whom he was feuding that he would rather pay the devil himself to cut his oat field than pay for the fee demanded. The source of the harvesting is not unknown uh, or mysterious. It is indeed Satan himself who, uh, complete with signature horns and all, Uh, is out there. Some claim that the first crop circles, though they were not called that at the time, appear near a small town of Tully, Australia. In 1966, a farmer said he was uh, a flying saucer. Uh, He saw it rise up in a swampy field and then fly away. He went to investigate, and he saw a roughly circular area of debris and appeared to flattened reeds and grass which he assumed had been made by an alien spacecraft, but which police investigators said was likely caused by a natural phenomenon like a dust devil or a water spout. Uh, Referred in the press as flying saucer nests, this story is more a UFO report than a crop circle report. As in the 1678 mowing devil legend, the case for it being linked to crop circles is especially weak when we consider that the impression or formation was not made by made in a crop of any kind, but instead in ordinary grass. A round of uh, impression in a lawn or a grassy area is not necessarily mysterious, as anyone with a kiddie pool in the backyard knows. 
Indeed, mysterious circles have appeared in grass throughout the world and sometimes attributed to fairies, but instead caused by disease. Um, yeah. So when did the extraterrestrial stuff start? The explanation that it's not, that we're, that they were extraterrestrials. Uh, in fact, the first real crop circles didn't appear until the 70s when simple circles began appearing in the English countryside. The number and complexity of these circles increased dramatically, reaching a peak in the 80s and 90s when increasingly elaborate circles were produced, including those illustrating complex mathematical equations. In July of 1996, one of the world's most complex and spectacular crop circles appeared in England across a highway from the mysterious and world-famous Stonehenge Monument. Oh, so it was close to Stonehenge. It was an astonishing pattern called a Julia set. And while some simple or rough circles might be explained away, the result of their strange weather phenomenon, this one unmistakably demonstrated intelligence. The only question was whether the intelligence was terrestrial or extraterrestrial. Making the design all the more mysterious, it was claimed that the circle appeared in less than an hour and during the daytime which, if true, would be virtually impossible for hoaxers to accomplish. The circle became one of the most famous and important crop circles in history. It was later revealed that the circle had, indeed, been made by uh, made in about three hours by three hoaxers, hoaxers very early that morning. It simply hadn't been noticed until the following afternoon when spotted from an airplane overhead. Oh. Not real, Tom. <laughs> no need to be scared. I'm scared of those guys. That's... The very, I'm scared of how quickly they can work. Yeah, that's freaky. Three. It only took them three hours, three hours to do to that. Do that yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's uh, as all crop circles. It's incredibly intricate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to hit the news here, um, and uh, and then we'll talk more about the crop circle uh, phenomenon right here on Jillio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock, as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Hey, it's um, it's a Monday, so that means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke a little bit later on, because it's a jokey, 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 jokey time. Uh, coming up at 2.30, every weekday morning we play some classic Johnny Carson clips. Uh, you can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, which is awesome. And uh, tonight we're going to play a, a clip back of Johnny bombing on a sketch. <laughs> uh, we're also going to talk about some embarrassing work stories. Our phone number is 312-981-7200. Uh, right now we're talking about crop circles and some of those other mysterious things that have been popping up. Um, you know, And um, we've been uh, talking about them, whether you believe in them or, 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 or not, and how they got there. They've been around for many, many, many years. And still, there isn't like a, a, a real explanation for some of them. Um, so that's what we're talking about. If you want to jump in, 312-981-7200. So there are some theories and explanations as to where and what the crop circles really are and how they got there. 
But here's the here's a, here's a, a, a bit of uh, thought on this. Unlike other mysterious phenomenon such as psychic powers, ghosts, or Bigfoot, there is no doubt that crop circles are quote unquote real. The evidence that they exist is clear and overwhelming. The real question is instead what creates them. Uh, and there are ways to investigate that question. We can look both uh, internal and external evidence to evaluate crop circles. Internal information includes the content and meaning of the designs. Is there anything that indicates that any form information contained in the quote-unquote messages is of extraterrestrial origin? And external information, including the physical construction of the crop designs themselves, is there anything to indicate that these designs were created by anything other than humans? Crop circle enthusiasts, and I, and I, and I guess there are crop circle enthusiasts, uh, have come up with many theories about what creates the patterns ranging from the plausible to the absurd. One explanation in vogue in the early, uh, early 80s was that the mysterious circle patterns were accidentally produced by the especially uh, vigorous sexual activity of horny hedgehogs. <laughs> Some people have suggested that the circles are somehow created by localized and precise wind patterns, or by scientifically undetectable Earth energy fields uh, and meridians called ley lines. Others, such as a molecular biologist Horace Drew, suggest that the answer lies instead in time travel or alien life. He theorizes that the patterns could be made by human time travelers from the distant future to help them navigate our planet. Drew, working on the assumption that the designs are intended as messages, believes he's decoded crop circles, symbols, that they contain messages such as believe, there is good out there, beware the bearers of of false gifts and their broken promises, and we oppose deception. All presumably in English. However, these odd pseudo-biblical messages undermine the credibility of the uh, crop circles, or at least the real meaning, meaning read into them. Of all the information that an extraterrestrial intelligence might choose to convey it to humanity, ranging from how to contact them and engineering secrets of faster-than-light travel, these aliens chose to impart intentionally cryptic messages about false gifts, broken promises, and hope for mankind. Many who favor an extraterrestrial explanation claim that aliens physically make the patterns themselves from spaceships. Others suggest they do it by using invisible energy beams from space, saving them a trip down here. Still others believe that it is human, not extraterrestrial, uh, thought and intelligence that goes behind these patterns. Not in the form of hoaxers, but some sort of global psychic power that manifests itself in wheat and other crops. While there are uh, countless theories, the only known proven cause of crop circles is humans. Their origin remained a mystery until September of 1991 when two men confessed that they had created the patterns for decades as a prank to make people think UFOs had landed. Uh, They had been inspired by the 1966 Tully UFO report. They never claimed to have made all the circles. Many were copycat pranks done by others, but their hoax launched a crop circle phenomena. Most crop circle researchers admit that the vast majority of crop circles are created by hoaxers, but they claim there's a remaining tiny percentage that they can't explain. 
The real problem is that despite unproven claims by a few researchers that stalks found inside real crop circles show unusual characteristics, there is no reliable scientific way to distinguish real crop circles from the man-made ones. Mm. Yeah. They're pretty cool, though. You know? They are. They, they look pretty cool. <laughs> oh, boy. So they started to pop up around uh, in the 60s. And they've been around since. Um, while there are a few exceptions, virtually all crop circles share a set of common characteristics. Circles. Crop circles, as the name implies, almost always involve circles, rarely re- tri- uh, triangles, rectangles, or squares, though some designs contain straight and curved lines. Perhaps not coincidentally, a circle is the easiest pattern for hoaxers to create. Nocturnal creation. Crop circles are formed overnight, often sighted by farmers or passers-by the next morning. Though there seems no logical reason for extraterrestrials or Earth energies to have uh, to create patterns at night, it is obviously a great advantage for hoaxers to create the designs under the cover of darkness. Full moon nights are especially popular. So they get out there. That's, that's just a lot of time, man. If you want to do a hoax, because some of these things are huge, these crop circles. That's a lot of time and dedication to just pull a hoax like that, you know? Like one o'clock in the morning, you're out in the middle of a field for hours making circles and trying to hoax everybody. So, all right. Uh, more crop circle talk here. If you want to jump in, it's 312 981 7200. How do you feel about that? Uh, or some of the other mysterious things that are in the world that we can't really explain. Like Stonehenge, how'd that happen? 312-981-7200. What about Bigfoot? You gotta love Bigfoot. Or Daryl, as we found out in the uh, progressive insurance commercial. That's his name. Okay. Uh, Yeah, phone lines are open. 312-981-7200. So, uh, crop circles and more mysterious things. We want to hear from you. Yeah. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Hi. Live in the uh, Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we go over to uh, Bradley Place uh, to the TV side of WGN, get some news and information from that great group, and then Bob Surratt at 5 has your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to uh, join us. We've been talking about crop circles and um, yeah, uh, so crop circles have never been recorded being made except uh, for those created by hoaxers because it's camera shyness. This is a very suspicious trait, after all. If mysterious earthly forces or aliens are at work, there's no reason to think that they wouldn't happen when uh, cameras are, are recording. 
How about access to roads? Crop circles usually appear in fields that provide reasonably easy public access. Close to roads and highways. They rarely appear in remote, inaccessible areas. Because of this, the patterns are usually noticed within a day or two of of their creation by passing motorists. There are many theories about what creates crop circles, including aliens, mysterious vortices, time travelers, wind patterns, but they all lack one important element, good evidence. The only known cause of crop circles is humans. Perhaps one day a mysterious unknown source will be discovered for crop circles, but until then, perhaps they are best thought of as as collective public art. So, uh, yeah. Crop circles, man. They're still weird. Yeah, no matter what's making them, they're, uh, they're very strange and beautiful, really. Some of them are just like, yeah, total, like you said, collective works of art. Yeah. So we don't really know who's doing it. What about the, uh, some of the other mysteries out there? How about Daryl or Bigfoot? (laughs) Our man, Daryl. My name's Daryl. What did you call me? <laughs> I, I will tell you, it was kind of a bummer once the Loch Ness monster thing was pretty much finally put to bed. I mean, there's there's suggestions that it was just a very large eel. The uh, Sturgeon's photo um, was just not. It was just bunk, you know. But it's just, I miss it. Well, you lived time. in Scotland. I did, and uh, was very little, yeah. But uh, but Nessie's a big deal over there. Yeah, I mean they're not going to stop selling little plush Nessies with their <laughs> their little like Scottish caps and kilts. Oh seriously? Yeah. Oh, it's the cutest thing. They've they've turned Nessie into just like a kids thing, and it's just so nice. They wear little tartans and everything like that. I love it. Well, how did they debunk Nessie? So I want to say it was fairly recently um, that it was. A huge eel. A huge eel? Yeah, that someone got a, a picture of a, of a giant eel. That's what they think the uh, the greatest prevailing theory. Um, so the, the, the photo that everybody looks at is the one from 1934. Where and that's that the black blurry and, one. It's yeah. black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was later proven to be false. Okay. It was, it was just not real. Um so researchers in New Zealand try, tried to ca- have been trying to catalog all living species in the lock by extracting DNA from water samples. So this is back from 20, uh, 2019. And um, European eels are among the creatures in the lock. And so if they just get to a real big size, now I'm guessing it was probably exaggerated, a little bit of a big fish story. But that's what, they're, that's what these uh, researchers from New Zealand were saying, is that it was just a really big eel. Well, I mean, you know, if you're looking at the if you're looking at some of the the pictures and stuff like that, it had to be a really, really, really big eel. But um, yeah, the Loch Ness monster. I was always I was always kind of fascinated by the Loch Ness monster ever since I was a kid. You know, I always thought that, I thought I always thought uh, the Loch Ness monster was pretty cool. And there are other uh, weird mysteries out there as well. So we got the crop circles, we got the Loch Ness monster. We got Bigfoot. What are some of the other your favorite uh, mysteries out there besides Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, crop circles? Got any other ones? Mm. Uh, black holes freak me out. Black holes. Yeah, the concept of just and black holes and dark matter. 
because these are things that are being legitimately, you know, these are things that are being really, really studied because the universe is this ever expanding thing Mm -hmm. that we have no control over. Uh, we are, we're just a little pale blue dot. Did you ever see the movie, the black hole? I did actually, because you you and Rod talked about it so much, so much, that when I got Disney Plus, the first thing I did was I went and watched The Black Hole. That movie is terrible. It's absolutely it terrible. It is terrible, but... It does have a distinction, though. It, it, it has a historical distinction. And what is that? It's the very first PG-rated Disney movie. Oh, risque. Everything up to that point was rated G. Yeah. Black Hole, first pg Disney movie. I would love to see a remake. Well, I guess Interstellar is kind of like a remake of The Black Hole. Eh. Loosely based on The Black Hole. I mean, there's a black hole involved in the movie. Yeah, and it's, I'll admit this. You know that I'm not a huge fan of that movie. I am. I know you are. <laughs> it's one of my the favorite movies knows, of all time. I think, I'm pretty sure Chris Nolan knows that. <laughs> but, uh, the the whole sequence, the whole like sequence where they go into the black hole, that was thrilling stuff. It's awesome. It was scary. That's what that's what I'm terrified of because it just crushes everything. It crushes all light and all matter, and we don't know what happens when you go through it. More likely than not, you get just crushed into you know space dust and you die. Yeah. But I used to have this book when I was growing up called the Un- It was just called the Universe, and they tackled the subject of black holes and i remember the illustration it was a you know a kind of a stereotypical looking black hole but then it depicted uh, alice and the you know like alice in wonderland and the white you know the white rabbit and everything like that and this kind of idea of going into a parallel universe or like traveling through time the idea of you know the classic thing in sci-fi where you to show a wormhole you take a piece of paper scrunch it up and then poke a pencil right, through it right so i mean I, I love that we're studying this. Why not push the boundaries of human knowledge if we can? Well, yeah. If we, you know, we have the resources yeah. to try. Well, black holes are real. They're very real. Yeah. And uh, the origins of, of the universe, you know, all this uh, kind of stuff, whatever you believe it might be, why not look? Why not take a take a peek? Yeah. Uh, here's Tyrone on WGN. Go ahead, Tyrone. Oh, well, I want to I want to enter the subject a little bit here, Nick. But before I do, can I can I ask you a little Chicago trivia question here? Um, all right. Uh, there's this commercial that comes on TV, and I believe it's for this uh, medical thing called Humera, and it has to do with these three young black gals that are in their their twenties and they're they're on vacation in Chicago, you know, and. I guess one of them has got Crohn's disease or IBS or something like right. that. Right, I know. I'm familiar with the commercial. Okay, now the scene there where it shows the one gal, she's about to get out of the cab, and she looks up at the skyscraper. Okay, does it? Does anybody know what skyscraper that is in Chicago? I have no idea. I know I've seen that skyscraper before in Chicago, but I can't identify that building. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't watch Chrome's Disease commercials really closely, quite frankly. Well, that's all TV. That's all TV is today. This this medical stuff. Yeah, uh, constantly. Okay. All right, Tyrone. What did you call about? Okay. Now, what about? You know, you're talking about precision there. What about this precision when it comes to to mutilating and hollowing out these cattle? Right now, that's been that's been uh, talked about for many many years as well, as like it might be aliens that are mutilating the cat the cattle. 
that's another one that that yeah, goes just, hand, that goes hand in hand with the with the crop circles. I just I just wonder why though. Yeah. Now they had that in 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 alien movies too, right? Don't they have mutilated? Isn't there a couple of movies that that actually feature mutilated cattle? I think so. I want to say they may have done it in Fire in the Sky. I'd have to I'd have to rewatch a lot of these. Yeah, I mean, there's but cattle. Oh, mutil- yeah, cattle mutilation is part of that kind of mythos and part of that the general idea of the crop circles, right? But it's just like, oh God, why? You know, there's a lot of a lot of weird uh, mystery elements out there in the world. So, all right, uh, Bigfoot, Daryl. Tyrone, thanks for the call. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Uh, we got uh, some classic Johnny Carson comedy coming up here, and then we're going to jump into uh, some weird and uh, I- embarrassing work stories. Everybody's, you know, got a few embarrassing work stories in them. Um, and we've got an interesting story out of the Ukraine about a news anchor that something very strange happened to on the air. And then we're going to talk about embarrassing work stories. If you have any, now's the time to call in at 312-981-7200. We'll take a break here, and then when we come back, it's going to be time for some uh, classic Johnny Carson. Again, you can watch Johnny Carson's show every uh, night on Antenna TV, and we always play back clips from it every morning at 2.30. And we got some classic Johnny Carson, Johnny Bombs in a Sketch. It's always funny when Johnny Bombs, how he handles it, you know what I mean? The reaction. It's always funny. So uh, that's coming up here. My dad's going to tell a joke later on, too, because it's Monday morning. All right. 312-981-7200. Johnny Carson clip. Classic. Coming up. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are uh, live in the uh, Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here until 4 o'clock. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's Monday morning and it's a jokey, 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 jokey time. We're also going to talk about some uh, embarrassing work stories. Everybody's got some embarrassing work stories. And we'll uh, share those. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Uh, every morning, weekday morning, I should say, at 2.30 or thereof, we uh, like to play back some classic Johnny Carson. You could watch uh, the Johnny Carson show every weeknight on Antenna TV, and then we play back some uh, great clips of classic Carson, whether it be some stand-up or a sketch or an interview. Well, uh, this is a, a sketch, but uh, it's Johnny bombing. <laughs> Johnny bombs on a sketch. So, uh, Tom, play a little uh, Johnny Carson. Always remember, that way if someone asks you later, you'll know it. (laughs) And always consider those less fortunate. I complain that I had no hat. Well, I met a man who had no head. 
turned out he was just standing behind a big droopy tree. I, so I started complaining again. I could, I could come up with examples like this all day. Above all, make your peace with God, because he can kill you like that. For if you live every hour, as if you only had an hour to live, you will profit by the experience. You'll also buy way, way too much life insurance. <laughs> got a band number? You always complain you never get a chance to, to play a band number. Remember how nice we sit at the desk and he says, is the band going to get to play tonight? <laughs> On occasion like this, we would not dream of interfering. <laughs> Play something, damn it. Damn humiliating. John. Yeah, Bob. What should I do with the last two and a half pages? <laughs> I don't even want to tell you what you can do with them. Ah, okay. Well, you want to take that off now? No. <laughs> ah, boy. Once in a while, you you know, you just get something that doesn't yeah. go. Boy, it's real lonely out there, isn't it? You. You'll never know. <laughs> That's show business. That's right. You come on, you know, you... You have no place to test this, you just do it. You can't take this stuff on the road. No. I sit in my office, I look at this, Why I would say... you want to bomb two places? <laughs> Any other members of the staff want to get in on this? Let me kick the star in the face? First him, now you. Fred? I thought it was going very well. <laughs> Obviously, your new car is not paid for. <laughs> Boy. Let's go away and come back. Oh, you think that'll help? Yeah. <laughs> Did you folks... No, of course you didn't. What? What, dear? Somebody said they loved it? Yes. Oh, my goodness, I, maybe I should have finished it. Yeah, you're trying to be nice. Okay, why don't we just do this and get a fresh start at this okay. thing and plunge on. We're going we're gonna to do this and then... That's hilarious. I just I love this producer. What do you want to do with the other two pages? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh, Johnny Carson. 
You can watch Johnny Carson uh, every night on Antenna TV, and uh, you can hear highlights of uh, the Johnny Carson show right here at 2.30 every morning on the show. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. It's always, you know, it's it's it was it's it was always funny when bomb when 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 Johnny would bomb, you know, like in the monologue if a few if a few jokes didn't work, like really didn't work, it was always hilarious the way he handled it. <laughs> All right, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Do you have embarrassing work stories? Well, we would love to hear them. Tell us about your embarrassing work stories. 312-981-7200. Here's a story out of the Ukraine. Or I should say Ukraine. Uh, A Ukrainian news anchor showed Grace under pressure when she lost part of her tooth during a live broadcast. What? Marichka Padaloko was reading the news live on Ukraine's TSN channel when a piece of her front tooth fell off. Ever the pro, she didn't interrupt her broadcast or even call attention to it. Instead, she casually put her hand in front of her mouth, grabbed the piece of tooth, and continued as normal. Padelko later posted the clip on Instagram, writing in Ukrainian that the incident was, quote, probably my most curious experience in 20 years as a presenter. According to a translation of her post, Padelko said she first broke the tooth 10 years ago when her daughter accidentally hit her in the mouth with a heavy metal alarm clock. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, although Padelko recently had a radical repair on the tooth, she said she forgot to avoid hard foods until it was completely fixed. In her Instagram post, the anchor said she appreciated the support she had received from viewers and the compl- and the compliment from a co-worker who said, you reacted as if you lost your teeth every day. Uh, Padelko said that she was surprised um, by the attention that a broke her broken tooth received, but added that she underestimated the attentiveness of our viewers. <laughs> what do you do in a situation like that? Part of your tooth falls out while you're on live TV. Jeez. Uh, has there ever ever been any bloopers that uh, you're aware of? Some 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 sort of embarrassing or weird work stories on your in your part? Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, well, many many of them are a little uh, a little raunchy, but raunchy. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you work in the service industry, you know this. Some things just go wrong, and it's uh, it's very interesting. Um, I'll say this: there was one person I worked at, where I worked with at when I was working at a movie theater, who was loud. Like we had just, she, they had just had a very bad um, inter- interaction with a customer. Okay, and um. They thought that the customer had gotten out of sight. They were out of sight oh, and no. thought they were out of earshot. Oh, no. And they started just going 
just in on this person. Like, who does she think she is? Blah, 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 this, that, you know, effing and blinding. And uh, <laughs> I'm standing there just like, okay, whatever. I'm just not commenting on it. I, I did mention, like, hey, maybe, like, just reel it in here. Just, reel, you know, tighten it up. Reel it back in. Everybody gets frustrated in this business. It's not always great, but just be cool. Try not to lose your head. And after the employee was done, this woman comes around the corner and just looks and is just, I heard everything that you said, and I'm going to tell your manager, and I'm going to call the owner, and I'm going to put this on Facebook, and just two big middle fingers right to the employee's face. Jeez. (laughs) To I mean, to be fair, the employee kind of deserved it. You know, yeah. you gotta you gotta keep that stuff on lockdown during the actual shift. Wait till you're at the bar afterwards to really let loose. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, that was not a good day. That was not a good day. You got demerit on the uh, on the old employee record there for that one. Um, you know, uh, I worked in the dairy department at Jewel uh, for for some years and um we would get milk delivery and they would they would stack the crates up so there'd be like there'd be like uh, four gallons of milk in each crate and um and then i would have to take like a a a long hook and hook it onto the bottom one and then pull it with the hook pull the stack so one time i pulled it and the whole stack just fell over Milk everywhere. <laughs> what does your boss even say to you when something like I mean, there's got to be a certain expectation of accidents well, happen. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a grocery store. Yeah. There's a lot of big products coming in. Not everything goes well, perfect. No, you know, but I mean, what it, do they even say to I, that? I worked at a grocery store for many years, and and no, I mean, they don't really say anything because it's expected. You know, yeah, they're they're disappointed with the waste of product. Obviously, uh-huh. um, you know what? The, but I'll tell you this: all the years that I worked at Jewel. Um, you know, you get a lot of, you get a lot of, uh, uh cleanups, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of stuff breaks, sure. stuff spills. Nature it just, of the game. It's nature of the game working at a grocery store. That happens. Um, the wor- you know what the worst thing to clean up is? The worst thing to clean up liquid laundry detergent. It is without question the worst thing because it just foams up. It doesn't go away. So what do you even use for that? Well, you basically try to scoop up as much of it as you can. Like one of the techniques, like if you drop, if let's say let's say a jar of uh, 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 jelly, sure, hits the ground, breaks. Mm-hmm. It's easy to clean up. You get two, cut off two pieces of cardboard. You know because we're stocking stuff on the shelf and everything is in a box. Cut off two pieces of cardboard and scoop it together. Like, push them together, lift it up off the ground, throw it in the garbage, and then you'll have, like, a little bit of wipe-up to do. That'll get rid of your big pieces of glass. Get rid of the, the large yeah, globs of jelly. Exactly. Right. So you just scoop it up with a couple of pieces of cardboard, throw it right in the garbage, and you can wipe it up a little bit. Or mop it up. Whatever. But it's impossible. I mean, someone... This was, like, right by my right by my dairy section. Because the, the, the detergent aisle was right right next to my dairy section. It was right in front of the right in front of like the yogurt, and so um, I'm there 
you know, like stocking stuff on the shelf or doing whatever I was doing, taking inventory, something like that. And all of a sudden, someone flips around the corner and smashes their cart over an aisle stack of laundry, liquid laundry detergent. Whole thing, boom. You hate to see it. Oh, my God. It did they, three of us. It took three of us to try and clean it up. So that's the worst. It was, it, without it's question. Like thick too. It's like yeah. syrupy almost. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it foams up. Like yeah, when you're yeah. trying to mop it up or something like it that. It's just water, you know, that just makes it do its job. Exactly. I bet the floor was really clean though afterwards. Had a nice <sighs> linen. It was smell. nice and slippery. I had to I had to put <laughs> a, you know those the slippery when wet signs. Sure. Uh, the Bon Jovi sign. Yeah. I I put like three of them up just to make sure people, you know, didn't fall and there were lawsuits all over the place. You know, we had a guy uh, try and scam us. With a lawsuit? Oh, yeah, but it was a fake fall. Like it was in, oh, the, yeah. it was, this was in the produce section. The guy goes, ah, and everybody saw that it was fake, and we were all like, no, dude. There's cameras here, man. Yeah. So... All right. Uh, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about embarrassing work stories. Uh, we've all got them. Did your tooth ever fall out when you were on TV? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. All right. Um, I got some weather for you, and we want to hear from you about some of your embarrassing or weird work stories. Everybody's got one or two or three or even more. 312-981-7200. Okay. For today, comfortably warm weather follows a very muggy weekend. Plenty of sunshine, seasonably warm, and comfortable uh, humidity levels combined to produce a delightful midsummer day. Highs will be in the mid-80s, uh, and it'll be cooler near the lake. Clouds will increase overnight with a small chance of showers by daybreak on Tuesday. For tomorrow, uh, clouds dominate the day with a few periods of showers and thunderstorms. Some could produce uh, a little heavy rain and some gusty winds. Uh, the showers uh, will cap out the highs in the lower 80s. Uh, some Wednesday uh, lingering showers early and then partly sunny. Highs in the middle 80s. Thursday, a mix of sun. Clouds warm, generally dry with an isolated thunderstorm that can't be ruled out. And uh, for Friday, more clouds than sun. Warm with an increase in humidity. Um, let's see. Uh, hit the uh, highs in the upper 80s. Scattered showers and thunderstorms are possible at night. It's currently 73 degrees at O'Hare. It's 73 at Midway and it's 71 at the lakefront. Okay. Uh, embarrassing work stories or weird work stories. That's what we want to hear from you. 312-981-7200. Phone lines are open. Yeah, man. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio. It's Monday morning. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. He tells a joke every every Monday morning to kick off your work week with a laugh. Um, and uh, the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We got some embarrassing uh, work stories that we want to hear. Do you have any? 312-981-7200. I think everybody does, right? All right. Let's see. Here's Robert on WGN. Go ahead, Robert. Um, thanks for taking my call again, Nick. I, I'm a painting contractor, and everything's based upon your reputation. So I had to go out of town for four days, and I thought I had a good crew. So the base of the, the, the house, the base color was white, 
<clears throat> can't miss that, with three accent colors. When I came back, these knuckleheads painted the house very nicely, four different ways on each side of the house. And I asked them, I go, now, wait a second, didn't you understand when you went and bought four more gallons of yellow that things weren't? So all I know is, and and again, they, they admitted that they kind of were smoking some marijuana while they were painting the house while I was gone, which was... Jeez. So, and again, the homeowner goes, Rob, come here, walk with me. And I, and I all I could do is, I, I go, don't worry, I'll take care of everything. And he goes, well, he goes, he goes, but they did a nice job. He goes, I'll give him that. And I said, I go, uh, okay. So, how embarrassing is that, especially when you're trying to build a reputation? Right. And so now, and I learned a very important lesson. You can never go out of town. <laughs> Period. That's it. Thanks so much, Nick. All right, Great take show. care. I thought the lesson would be don't let your painters smoke dope. Yeah, that would be the... But, you know, whatever whatever you walk away with. Yeah, we, 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 we admitted we were high when we were painting the house. <laughs> Why is there a giant Grateful Dead logo on the side of my house? I understand. <laughs> Are those oh. Zeppelin lyrics? Jeez. Uh, embarrassing work stories. That one certainly fits into the category. 312-981-7200, especially if, if your reputation is at, is at, is at large. Here's John on WGN. Hi, John. Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? All right. What's up? So your guys' story about the the grocery stores and uh, the movie theater made me think about back in the day when I worked at uh, Super Kmart. And uh, I think I was 18. I was a young buck. So they used to have me kind of run the patio tables up front and out to people's cars. And it was uh, Saturday afternoon, beginning of the summer. The store was jam-packed. And I was pushing a flatbed with the chairs on the bottom and the table on top, so the table's hanging over. So I wasn't real sure or paying attention to how much clearance I had. And I remember I was distracted by the cover of the Rolling Stone. And that week it was the Spice Girls, and they were all wearing these leather outfits. And as you can imagine, being a young guy, I was daydreaming, and I let the table part of the patio set hit this salsa display, and literally there were hundreds of jars of salsa that got knocked over and cracked open, and I probably had 200, 250 people turn around and stare at me. And, of course, I was mortified. Yeah. Yeah. Blame the Spice Girls, man. It's their fault. Yeah. It's their fault. All right. And like you said, nobody yelled at me. Nobody said anything because they just expect stuff like that to happen. Yeah, no. But, if you're if you're like in a grocery store, you work in a grocery store. It's it's you know that's expected. It really is. All right, John. Thanks. All right. Yeah, salsa is a pain in the neck to clean up too. Yeah, pain in the neck, especially if you get hundreds of jars of salsa that's, busted all over the floor. Jeez. Yeah. No, it's not fun, man. Well, that's what you know. That's what happens when you uh, when you let the Spice Girls into the equation. That's right. Now we're talking about embarrassing work stories. You have a blooper from WGN TV. Yeah. Well, because these guys are the best. The best from the, the morning show. Yeah, from the morning oh, show. Please, it's Larry and Robin. This please. is <laughs> this is there. There's a million, uh, but this is a good one that I always enjoy. 
Hello there, Paul. Larry, you said you had this ready. I, I sent you three notes about this. I don't know I what you're talking about. I said we're going to do about. something on the computer for uh, did, the, did for the see, last did story. Did you see me? I was reading the news there. I, so was what I. What are you talking about? So was I. I said, get, I said, point at the computer. I said, pull up that video. I said three times. I showed you this. I said you this. And now you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Like I'm just making it up. That looking at you crazy is yeah. kind of the standard look that he's yeah. given to you for like the last 15 I'm years. I'm sorry. I apologize to our producer who had a lovely little story in there. And I said, well, why don't we rerun that? That video again. But this is all very fascinating to the viewer. I'm at home. just saying. I just we had a conversation. You were looking at me. I was looking at you. It, it's like you. I can't take it anymore. Go back on vacation. This is going to extend our dream. I need to go, Larry. I don't know what's going on. Hilarious. They're so funny. <laughs> you know, they're just great. That, show is, that show is awesome, man. Best news in the country. Yeah. Best news, morning news program in the entire There's, there's, no, there's no question about it. And it kills in the ratings. Like, it, seriously, it demolishes all of the, the, the network morning shows. Like your Good Morning America and, yeah. and all that stuff. Because they're the best. I love Robin Baumgarten. I mean, I love them all, but I particularly like Robin Baumgart. Well, th- I remember the one of the best one was the bridge. They were watching that bridge, waiting for it to collapse. <laughs> right, they yeah, cut right. away. They cut away for like right. ten seconds, <laughs> and they come yeah. back. Bridge is gone. Right. <laughs> they were so upset. They were so upset. Yeah, it was the it was the implosion oh. of the bridge, right? Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Where was it? Vegas. You know, I or was it local? I think it, I want to say it was local. It probably was local. Yeah, because why would they cover something from Vegas? Yeah, here, here's here's a little bit of that. Okay, actually. this is hilarious. The guy dressed as a taco parachuting out oh, of yeah. a plane yeah, into the yeah. uh, plastic pool of salsa. Yeah. Yep. Hey, while we're stalling, go ahead and show the picture. But uh, today, yeah. as you get going, we have temperatures that are into the 30s around here. Are you, are you kidding, kidding me? me? Who did that? Wow. Who, are you kidding? Wow. See, you should listen to me. Do you see? <laughs> yeah, they cut away. The one time they cut away from the bridge, that's when it implodes. Exactly. Hilarious. I waited forever for it, too. So, um, uh, we have uh, embarrassing work stories. You've had, you've had issues at work. Everybody has. Everybody's got some embarrassing moments that have happened at their workplace. I'm trying to remember how many times I've been embarrassed here. I've embarrassed myself here. How long have we been on the air today? <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, it's, it, there has to be a lot of embarrassing stories. I've been here 35 years, so <laughs> something's got to be embarrassing. You ever botch an interview? Um, maybe in those early days, like, or have, when you talk to someone, you know, Roy was maybe well, having someone on. Wait, no, I mean, you know, we've had some clunkers over the years, especially when I was with Gary Lee Wright. We would book some real weirdos. And those wouldn't work. We 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 would cut interviews off early. That's what you got to do. So, all right. Weird or embarrassing work stories. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Phone lines are open, and uh, we would love to talk to you about your embarrassing or weird uh, work uh, stories. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred, and we'll get to it after this. All right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. 
We are live in the uh, Skyline studio here on a Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. It's Monday morning. It's uh, jokey jokey time. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Um, we're talking about embarrassing work stories. Uh, everybody's got an embarrassing work story. Yeah. <laughs> 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Phone lines are open. Here's Jim on WGN. Go ahead, Jim. Hey, Nick. I got one I'll never forget. We were having a retirement party for one of our drivers. Had a big wing ding at lunchtime. Everybody's in the cafeteria. Free pizza and that. They had a sheet cake ready, and the supervisors and managers got up and gave their speeches about how good he was and all that, and give him his retirement check and all of that. And everybody's, he walked over and he says, Is this my cake? And I said, Yeah, this is your big giant sheet cake. They thought he's going to pick it up and walk back by us in transportation. He picked it up, walked over, threw it in the garbage can, turned around, flipped all of supervisors and managers out and walked out. <laughs> you talk about a scrunnel employee, but it was like unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We, and it looked like it might have been a good sheet cake. It was a massive, <laughs> you know, enough for at least 50 people. He was more concerned was about the sheet cake than anything else. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's you hilarious. The scrunnel employee. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a dream for some people to be able to do that. Like if you, if you don't like your job, like some people would, some people would love to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, I could have just given a finger and left the sheet cake, but yeah, (laughs) very concerned about the sheet cake. Jim is all right, Jim. Thanks buddy. All right, man. Take care. You know, it must have been a really good-looking sheet cake for Jim to be <laughs> so upset about it. I mean, to be fair, if that if I were in that situation, I would also be kind of bummed about the sheet cake. Sure, especially if you were looking forward to it. Like, I oh, know. look well, at a, that sheet cake! It's it's rare that you get cake at work. Yeah, you know, you got this sheet cake. You're celebrating a guy. You know, he's yeah. retiring. It's a big big accomplishment. Whew, right in the trash. We've had sheet cake here. We have had sheet cake. Yeah. Well, usually I'm getting that sheet cake after it's been in the fridge. Ex- for like well, yeah, five or hours. sitting outside for <laughs> sitting in the break room on the on the counter because that's 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 how they that's how they just leave it for the overnight. I know we're like animals or something to yeah. them. It's it's kind of funny. I feel like a I feel like a chud. <laughs> yeah. No, this is just like just they, they, don't don't put the don't do anything with the leftovers. They'll they'll, leave they'll, it there. they'll eat it at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> They're they don't desperate. care. You think they care? They'll just gobble it right up. Yeah. Human trash cans. There have been a lot of really weird foods, like you know, that's just they're just left out. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you get, you know, the uh, like just like huge things of pasta. Yeah, just huge thing. You can't eat that after it's been sitting out for like four sitting hours. out on the counter. <laughs> it's not safe. You can't just microwave that away. Um, so we're talking about embarrassing work stories, 312-981-7200. Awkward situations can crop up anytime, anywhere. That means that you're bound to be embarrassed at work once in a while, or rather frequently if you're unlucky. Um, this is from Business Insider. It said, we asked readers to tell us about their most humiliating work experiences. 
we ended up getting back a handful of fart stories, a few shoe-related fiascos, and one tale of a hickey in a rather unfortunate location. Fart stories? You know, you pass gas in front of your boss or in like a meeting or something like that. What? It's a little embarrassing. Something we don't necessarily have to worry about all that much. No. I'm farting right now. I'm mid-toot. <laughs> um, okay, how about this? Here are, These are actual stories, and if you want to jump in here, we would love to hear your embarrassing or uh, awkward work stories. 312-981-7200. I was in a very long meeting after breakfast one day. After some scones and coffee, I was ready to hit the bathroom. After the meeting, I quickly ran back to my desk to check some emails before doing so. As I sat down, I caught some quick um, relief with a long, gassy, silent fart. Little did I know a female colleague had followed me back from the meeting to discuss a few more things offline. The stench floating from the vicinity of my desk was nothing short of horrid. The look on her face when she actually caught a whiff of this thing, was one of pure shock and horror, almost like she had just been struck physically. She tried to talk for a few seconds without breathing, but uh, both knew what the situation was. She quickly ended the conversation and went back to her desk, even though we were mid-project together and we didn't speak much after that. Uh, Actually, a few months later, she left the company and never even stopped by to say goodbye. I wouldn't go back near my desk either. <laughs> uh, he thought he was safe to let one rip. You're never safe. Never really. Um, how about this? I showed up to make a major presentation to an audience of 230 people wearing two different colored shoes. How does that happen? How does that happen? Ignorance. Was the person colorblind, maybe? Two different... I mean, I don't know. Most of the time when you're going to something businessy, it's usually you're wearing black shoes or you're wearing brown shoes, generally generally speaking, right? I think so. Not too, not too many pairs of blue shoes or red shoes. Two different colored shoes this person had on. And they had to speak in front of an audience of 230 people. Okay, that, that, I believe that qualifies as uh, embarrassing. So we're talking about embarrassing work stories or awkward work stories. 312-981-7200. Uh, everybody's got them. We would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. All right, let's take a, uh, a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll go right to the phones, and we've got more from this article about some of the really embarrassing things that have happened to people at work. 312-981-7200. Someday, when I'm awfully low. It's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio, we're here until 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place, WGN-TV side, 
get some news and information from those great people. And then at 5 o'clock, it's the legendary Bob Surratt for your morning drive. 312-981-7200. Got some phone lines open talking about some embarrassing stories at your workplace. Everybody's got some. Also, my dad's going to call in and tell a joke in a little bit because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time on a Monday. 312-981-7200 is the phone number here. Here is uh, Erod on WGN. Go ahead, Erod. Hey, Nicholas. Two short, quick stories. I was working at the Tribune, and one morning before going to work, I did laundry, and I put on a hoodie, and because of the static electricity of the dryer, I had a long black silk stock hanging uh, uh, on my butt like a tail, and no one told me about this. They had me walking all over the office without letting me know this. And uh, the next one was, uh, it's very important to mention that I'm blind. I went shopping one time, and I bought some Fruit of the Loom underwear. And I'm walking around. I went to the bank. I went to work. And people were saying, oh, you got some Fruit of the Loom. And these were in plastic bags. And I... You know, it took me a while to realize these are see-through. Ah. <laughs> so, so those are my two funny stories okay. at work. <laughs> All right, Erod, take Have a care. Good one. Yep. I- yeah. You know that. Uh, you know the story that we were, that we heard about the guy throwing out the sheet cake, and then flipping off their bo- his bosses. That that it reminds me of that episode of uh, of Seinfeld where. Um, George busts into his his uh, boss's office and starts screaming at him, calling him incompetent. He's an idiot. He quit. And then he he uh, he's over at Jerry's and he's like, I don't know why I did this. I don't know why I did that. I, I can't be out of work. And uh, so he decides he's going to pre- pretend it didn't happen. He's just going to go back to work after making this after making this insane scene. He's just going to go. He's going to go back to work and pretend like it never happened. It's a hilarious episode. It is. It's. It's a hilarious episode. But it's. It's. It's interesting because, like many of the, like many of the Seinfeld episodes, uh, it's based on real stuff. Tom, you know that, right? The one where uh, the episode where George busts into the office, quits, and then pretends like it never happened, went back at work the next day. Now you know that that really happened. Was that Larry? Larry David. Who did he do that to? SNL? Yep. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you he, know. He quit SNL, and then he came, and he came back like nothing happened. <laughs> Friggin' Lorne Michaels. Oh, man. Honestly, that must have been pretty satisfying, though, to get to tell off Lorne Michaels. for Whether he was in the wrong or in the right doesn't really matter. Just yeah. To get, just to yeah, just get yeah. the chance to yell at like one of the most powerful people in television. Yeah. And then come back to work the next day like you just did, like nothing even happened. Yeah. He didn't last long on SNL. No, he did not. But I think he kind of gets the, the last laugh on that one. Oh, well, yeah. By a I mean, long margin, by a big margin. You know. Second most highly paid actor of all in, in television. Yeah. Behind one, the one and only Jerry Seinfeld. That's right. And uh, he's got Curb on HBO, which is hilarious. So I'm going to, I'll throw this out there. Um, I wouldn't even call myself the biggest Seinfeld fan. I think Seinfeld between Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, 
Larry David's comedy has always has been funnier than anything they've ever done on SNL. I don't agree with that. Fair enough. I don't agree with that. I figured you wouldn't. Yeah. Yet 40 years of SNL, man. <laughs> um, so, uh, embarrassing stories from work. 312-981-7200. Here's Barb on WGN. Hi, Barb. Yeah, you know, hi, Nick. Um, yeah, I had a couple. I was working at uh, Singer Sewing Machine Company in Accounts Payable in the late 50s when I, I was uh, like 17, between 17 and 19, something like that. And uh, one was we had the old four, four castered chairs. And one day I rolled back to talk to the person behind me and rolled over a, or hit a, a, a calculator cord and just flopped over on my back wasn't hurt but suddenly i was looking at the ceiling that was bad enough but one of the really good looking guys was at the water fountain a few feet away and i guess he hadn't no but anyway one woman called out john pick her up so the whole the whole place was aware of that. The other one that was good there was I was going out for some reason afterwards and I was wearing a strapless bra. And I don't know how many people noticed it, but at some point during the day, a woman called my attention to the fact that it looked like I had four boobs. (laughs) 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 All right. That's pretty funny. Okay. Thanks, Barb. Bye-bye. That's pretty funny. Um, you got any embarrassing work stories? 312-981-7200. After repeated errors and repeated retraining, it was time to part ways with a, an employee who was not quite up to the specific tasks assigned to her. Uh, I emailed HR, explained my situation, and requested that they send me the specific process for terminating of terminating her employment. She had a uniquely spelled first name, So I used Outlook to find out how to spell her name correctly. Forgot to take her name off the email, and the email went to her. Oops, she quit by the end of the day. (laughs) You got to watch that email stuff, man. That'll do you in. You got to watch that stuff, man. And you can't, like, you know, CC everyone. I don't know how people get, you know, like, actually do that. How do you make that mistake? You know? Well, uh, I'll put it this way. Some email programs make... The default just reply. So, like when it, you'll just reply, like reply to the reply all or yeah, reply all is how that happens exactly. So for some programs, it's just reply. So it'll just reply to the one person who sent you said email, right? But some of them, the default is reply all. So you have to make the conscious effort to just reply to one person if that's what you mean to do. Yeah. Whereas the other one, it's I think it's better to have to make the conscious effort to reply to everyone than to have to reply to, you know, the other way around. Well, you know, it's amazing how often that kind of stuff happens. Oh, yeah. It's a tale as old as email. Time. I mean, you know you know what I mean? Like uh, like uh, that email was not meant for a bunch of people, and then everybody saw it. Yeah. I always, every time I, every time I hear about stories like that or read stories like that, I'm like, how does that happen? You know? Yeah. The I mean, this, it's, uh, I, I don't know if you saw the story with Adrian, uh, Waj Narowski from ESPN. Waj. Okay. He's like the NBA insider. Okay. 
and uh, I don't know if this was a, it was probably a reply, a reply all, but um, there was a senator who sent out an email criticizing the NBA, and then he replied to that email to like a, is a senator or a state representative, just with the you know the big f bomb, and uh, he got suspended, as you might expect, and he apologized. But my guess is that he meant to do it. <laughs> you think so? Oh, yeah. You don't respond to a state official of any ranking with an expletive unless you mean to do it. Uh-huh. But, yeah, always always be careful of those emails. Yeah, no, it's just... Tip number one. Yeah, no, you gotta. You have to. So, um, yeah, the whole reply all thing. No. <laughs> Just don't. All right. How about this one? Here's another true story of of, uh, embarrassing work stories. We've all got them. 312-981-7200. Phone lines are open. We want to hear your embarrassing work stories. How about this one? There was free food in the kitchen once. I grabbed some. On my way back to my desk, I tripped over my own foot in front of my colleagues. Don't worry. I saved the food. My clothes, not so much. Got to have your priorities straight. Save the food. <laughs> also, don't take people's food. What do you mean? Like out of the fridge? Yeah, out of the fridge. No, Obviously, they were referring to some free food. That happens every once in a while. Yeah. Someone will get like five pizzas because they, you know, because of either a guest or they're just, you know, it's just a Friday or something. But, uh, yeah, don't take people's food, especially Dave Ennett's yogurt. Don't take that, that was a th- We got accused of that. We were accused. We were accused of, of stealing uh, Dave Ennett's yogurt. We were. I would never steal Dave Ennett's yogurt. If there's one person's yogurt I would not steal, it's Dave Ennett's yogurt. Yeah. I can't speak for anybody else. Now, they never found out who did it, right? But no. somebody did. There was a yogurt fairy, right? There was right? the yogurt fairy. The yogurt fairy that brought the yogurt. yogurt, replaced the yogurt for yes. Dave. Yes. But we don't know who that is. We have no idea who the yogurt fairy So it's still a mystery. It, to this day. Who stole Dave Ennett's yogurt? Especially, you know, like, um, you know, it's just common courtesy not to take somebody else's food out of the out of the communal fridge here at, right. at, at your job. Where do you stand on something like creamer? What do you mean? Like, like coffee creamer. Because it's like, you know, you take a splash for your coffee. I could see someone thinking that's okay. Yeah. Or like a splash of milk because it's like there's a whole jug or there's a whole thing. I'm a no. I'm a, if it's not yours, don't touch it. Oh, no. If they're present and you can ask them. That's one thing. That's one thing. Hey, you mind if I use a little bit of your creamer for my coffee? Yeah. I don't drink coffee, so I don't have to worry about that. Exactly. <laughs> can I have some creamer for my water, please? Yeah. I'm trying to spice it up. Creamer for my creamer. Um, But yeah, especially if your name's on it. You know what I mean? It's bad enough that people take what food is not theirs, but it's especially insane if someone put their name on it and you take it. And you're just making a willful choice to steal. And I've seen it. It's not it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for someone to take somebody's food actually from the fridge with their name on it. You but, call you call them out for it? Face to face? No. Do you snitch? I, I don't know who did it. Oh, okay. I don't know who did it. Have you ever had your food stolen? Yes. <sighs> what was it? Like a sandwich or something? Yep. A sandwich from home in a brown bag. Now, I didn't have my name on it. Oh, there 
Oh, so no, that's it's still not okay. <laughs> if even if but, my well, name, maybe, if it, maybe if it said Nick D, it's not or just yours. It doesn't matter what it says. If it I doesn't know, but say maybe anything. they would have thought twice because maybe they saw it and they were like, "Oh, well, this could be this could be Tom's sandwich." I'm not worried about Tom. What's he going to do? Who the hell cares if it's my sandwich or not? 35 years. Please. Nobody cares. Thing in the sidewalk. Nobody cares the thing in the sidewalk. (laughs) That was was a wonderful day, by the way. The induction to the Walk of Fame. Were you there? No. You weren't even working here then. What was it, 2017? Yeah. No, I was working here. Oh. I had three Thanks for coming out, man. Hey, dude. I appreciate that, really. What do you want from me? Thanks for the support. (laughs) You didn't know me from Adam. You didn't know, you know... You would have been like, who's I, that lung? Who's that I giant got, man out it's, there? What's really amazing is that it, I got inducted when like almost everybody from the traffic department got inducted. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's rock and roll, man. Yeah. So, but it was it was a it was a wonderful day. Traffic and Nick DiGilio. Uh, exactly. All right, we've got more embarrassing uh, work stories. And uh, I would love it if you shared some. Jillio on 720 WGN. We're talking about some uh, embarrassing work stories, uh, and I would love to hear yours. Everybody's got uh, at least one embarrassing work story. 312-981-7200. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke in just a little bit because it's Monday morning. I was just I just remembered one uh, here at GN. Uh, this was back when, when we would introduce uh, the news person and the news. We don't do that anymore now. Uh, I forgot the newsman's name. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, not uh, good. I hadn't, I hadn't worked with him a lot, but I forgot his name. It's tough. Yeah. This was back at uh, the Tribune building. <laughs> When we were still on the first floor, not the seventh. So it was a long time ago. And the newsroom was like right next to the mic that I used. So he was like five feet away from me on the other side of the glass. He just look at you, disappointed. I knew his first name. I forgot his last name. So I just kind of like made up, made it up, made up his last name. It sounded like uh, gibberish. I'm not going to say who it was. No. I'm not going to say who it was. But uh, that was pretty embarrassing. Well, and of course, then they say their name at the end of the report. Yeah. And then you're just like, ah, oh, boy. So everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, and I, I apologized to him. I was sure, like, yeah, I'm yeah. really sorry, man. And it happened on the air. Like I said the guy's name wrong on the air. So. Okay, you ready for some more embarrassing work stories? 312-981-7200. 
I drove uh, one and a half hours to Virginia, from Virginia to Maryland for work one day, a typical commute for the greater D.C. area. When I was getting out of the car, I realized that I had no shoes on. I like to walk and drive with bare feet, and usually I have a pair of shoes in the car, but that day I couldn't find any shoes in the car. I was working as a psychotherapist, oh no, in a psychiatrist clinic, and my first patient appointment was about to start. I had no choice but walked into the packed waiting room. I pretended all was normal and called my first appointment's patient's name, smiled and shook his hands with, uh, shook hands with her and led her to my office. Throughout the whole day, I talked with my patients and walked around barefoot. My heart pounded nervously, but I gave no visible signs that I was utterly embarrassed. I acted as if it was all normal and that no one, not even my coworkers, mentioned a word about me not having on shoes the whole day. Come on, man. We're just going to pretend. We're just going to pretend it's not happening. And then when he walks out of the room, they're like, you realize he's got no shoes on? I'm always weirded out by people who take their shoes off in public. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a time people do place. it at work, like in their office. They'll take their shoes off, and I'm like, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. No, I've seen people do it on the bus. Take off their shoes. Yes. God, of all places, there there was a guy I knew in college. He was a real hippie. <laughs> Listen to fish a lot. Uh huh. Fish with a ph. Yes, and I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think people thought it was an Abe Vigoda. <laughs> hey man, he could have been a huge, <laughs> huge Barney Miller fan. You like to just listen to the. You just edit episodes so they could hear the bits with Fish. Well, Fish had a spinoff. He did, yeah, yeah, called Fish, just Fish. But he it was like, if I remember correctly, he and his wife Bernice. <laughs> you finally got to see her because she, I think, was only on the phone. They adopted kids. That's what the show was about. Like Fish adopted kids. So, uh, Tom's answering the phone right now, but we want to hear about the guy who who was uh, was into fish. So, what happened to this guy? So, this guy had this thing where he loved to walk around campus without shoes on. Uh, it was I found it incredibly, incredibly pretentious. I thought it was the dumbest thing. Oh, I totally agree. And he would go into go into classes, no shoes on. Professor would be like, "Okay, you have to put some shoes on. You're indoors." He's like, "Nah, man, I just don't believe in it." Come on, man. don't make him sound like Matthew McConaughey. All right, hold on, let me try something else. <clears throat> no, man, I just don't believe in it. Yeah, that's better. And so he would do this all the time. That's just unacceptable. And then, but then in winter, of course, you have to wear shoes, right? Right? You have to wear shoes. There's snow on the ground. His idea of winter shoes was flip-flops. He would just walk around in flip-flops in the in the freezing cold. And we'd be like, "What?" we're like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, oh, man, it's cool, but a little, a little cold out today. Yeah. Yeah, you think so, buddy? You're going to lose your toes. I just hate my, it. My, 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 uh parents had a, had friends we would visit their fa- you know visit them it, it was a family for family friends sure this guy um in the middle of winter no coat nothing air conditioning on <laughs> doesn't bother me and then he'd start coughing 
Doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing, man? Ooh. Yeah, he was a strange dude. Big guy, too. Like, lots of, you know, lots of flesh. So maybe that's what kept extra, him. Extra flesh. He was a big dude. He's a fleshy man. And I, that might have something to do with why he, you know, he could take it. Would you say rotund? Oh, yeah. Okay. Big dude. <laughs> the coughing is what kills him. Oh, you stand outside just coughing. Doesn't bother me. He's hacking up a lung. Beautiful weather today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, something else. Uh, here's uh, Sabrina on WGN. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, how are you? All right, what's up? Oh, yeah, this is like at the late um, 80s. I was a telemarketer for Montgomery Ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, the phones we had didn't have mute button. They were like Illinois Bell phones or whatever. But long story short, uh, we had this guy, you know, he did like a lot of good impersonations. So one day I was on the phone with a customer, and he did this Mr. Ed impersonation, and I just lost it i just laughed so loud in the customer's ear i'm surprised you know i wasn't fired but yeah <laughs> but well you, you got you gotta love really a, you gotta love a, you gotta love a, a good mr ed uh, uh impression but <laughs> so. well, i'll never forget that because it's like you know we, i guess he wasn't receiving any calls so i guess he was messing up sales to everyone yeah. else by being silly yeah and i That'll just do lost it. it that's hilarious all right sabrina <laughs> thank you Okay, bye-bye. Mr. Ed. <laughs> Just, can, can you imagine being on the phone and you hear this? Uh, market drops five points. I'm glad my money's tied up in hay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ed. Who who came up with that, with that idea for that show? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I mean, just, you know, just like, hey, let's let's make a show about a talking horse. Apparently, it was created by uh, Walter R. Brooks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, well, you think Walter R. Brooks was a drinker? Uh, yeah, he was on something. <laughs> hey, well, hey, listen, I watched it. It's a good show. I, I, I thought it was funny. Well, you, you love television shows that involve talking animals. I do, specifically. General, uh, you like that one chimp show. Well, Lancelot Link. Lancelot Link. Yeah. Who came up with that? It's a it's Oh, a, somebody who was very high. A, a spy show. Somebody who was very, very high came up with Lancelot Link. I mean, it's bonkers. That it's show. insane. It's it's who? Who thought that was a good idea? W- would you say it was relatively successful in its time? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I watched it all the time. That's the kind of entertainment we got in the late 60s, early 70s. <laughs> it was a desolate time. You know? <laughs> children's show creators were blowing weed and then putting the weirdest stuff on TV when I was a kid. Especially Sid and Marty Croft. I've mentioned those guys before. Because you got the HR puffing stuff. Oh, completely insane. Every show that they did was nuts. They were puffing stuff. That's why it's, I believe it's, that's why it's called HR puffing stuff. I'll tell you though, you ever, you ever hear, I've told you about Lidsville, right? Lidsville? Yeah. Charles Nelson Riley was on it. Oh my God. And it was about, uh, a world with living hats. Lidsville. And I'm not, I'm not surprised because you got H.R. Puffin stuff, which is a pot reference, and Lidsville, which is also a pot reference. And these guys said that they never smoked marijuana, Sid and Marty Croft. 
Listen, uh, the proof is in the shows. <laughs> We're calling shenanigans on oh, that, Sid Marty. God, God love you. Some of the weirdest stuff, Lidsville. You, you should watch some of the clips of Lidsville on on uh, on the YouTube. Completely insane. All right, uh, I got some weather for you, and then my dad's going to uh, tell a joke, and then we'll wrap up the show with some more uh, awkward, embarrassing work stories. And if you want to jump in, it's three one two. 981-7200. It's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. There it is. It's Monday morning. You can always tell because that theme p- pops up and my dad tells a joke. It's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN, and every Monday morning my dad tells a joke. He's been telling jokes his, uh, his whole life, and let's welcome my dad to the show. Hey, Dad. Hi, Nick. How are you, buddy? Perfect. All right, how's Ma? Good. Good. Okay, got a joke. Got a joke. My doctor was giving me a hard time about my health. To get on his good side, I bought a a puppy and named him Five Miles. That way, when I see my doctor, I can tell him I walk five miles every day. All right. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right, okay. Dad. Take care. All right, Nick. All right. Yeah. That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. That's right. Does it every Monday morning? I walked five miles a day. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. All right. Uh, we were talking about some embarrassing work stories. If you have any that you would like to share, we're still talking about that. We want to hear from you at 312 981 7200. 312 981. 7200. How about this? I took an Ambien on a red-eye flight. It didn't wear off by the time I went into work the next day. I hardly remember any of that day as I was a total zombie. My emails and messages made next to no sense. I was basically fired for the incident. It, It didn't wear off. Okay. Um, here's another, uh, these are all true embarrassing, uh, work stories. I worked in retail and got food poisoning on Thanksgiving. I tried to call in sick to work the next day, which was black Friday. The boss didn't believe me 15 minutes into my shift. I was helping a couple with questions on a new TV. I ended up vomiting on the wife's designer shoes. I was sent home shortly thereafter. <laughs> The boss didn't believe him. Uh, my boss faked punch to my side when he was uh, walking by me. I braced for the punch and squeaked out uh, a, a fart. What's with all the fart stories here? <laughs> uh, here's Glenn on WGN. Go ahead, Glenn. Hey Nick, um, some time ago I was giving the coworker a foot massage. You know, she's one of the was one of the best looking women in the office. But 
the, after five minutes into it, you know, the room break room started smelling like Doritos. And the funny thing is, nobody in the break room was eating Doritos. Mm-hmm. You can kind of put two and two together there. Yeah, so her feet smelled like Doritos. Basically. Yeah. Okay. All right, Glenn. Thanks, man. All right, take it easy, Nick. You know, dog dogs' paws smell like Fritos. Is that what they smell like? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't take much time to smell dogs' paws. Dogs' paws smell like Fritos. They do. I, I'm gonna have to take your word for it. I'll have to take your word for it. Um. Yeah. I had an uncle who was a carpenter who had uh, a very close co- uh, call with an embarrassing work story. He was uh, he he was building caskets. And he was. Oh, building, I know yeah. this story. Go ahead. So he was he was building a casket, and uh, you know he's got the basically the whole thing together, and uh, he just needed to put the final nails, as it were, in the coffin, in the bottom, so that the bottom would stay stay put. But he decided before he got that done, he had to turn you know turned over. But he decided I'm going to go take my quick lunch break. So he goes to take his lunch break. He's gone for about maybe 30 to 45 minutes. He comes back. The casket's gone. He sees his boss, the guy he's working for. And he says, hey, where's that casket? He's like, oh, we already took it. We're going to put, you know, we're going to bury the guy in it today. And he freaked out because those final nails to make sure that the bottom stayed in were laying literally on the ground next to him. So he goes, he goes to the, the actual funeral man's in the casket and uh he's sitting in the back of the, of the church just praying praying with all of his might that that casket would hold because then otherwise that body would have literally flopped out in front of mm. everyone at this funeral luckily he built the casket well enough where it didn't need those final nails but the he told me that the panic he was feeling oh, in I his bet. heart was just that's terrifying believable that's terrifying All right, here's another one. My coworker's wife and kids visited the office. After they left, I turned, looked at him, and I said, I want to have your babies. I meant I wanted to babysit them, but it came out completely wrong. <laughs> I want to have your babies. How about this? I got locked in the lobby of my office building on a Friday night. This was in the days before cell phones. I pounded on the door for a while, but no one heard me. Finally, I was able to pick the lock. Pick the lock? <laughs> what? Um, I worked as a graphic designer and copy editor at a travel company. I'm almost most fortunate to have uh, um, a head bereft of hair. A key point to remember, when my first daughter was a few months old, we placed her in a gizmo where she was able to sit up. Thinking it would be fun, I stuck a suction cup toy in the middle of my forehead, bent over near my daughter, who then grabbed the toy and pulled. We both had fun until I removed the toy from my forehead, and my wife shrieked with laughter. Uh, I had a perfect circle imprinted smack dab in the middle of my forehead. Uh, when my daughter pulled the toy, the suction pulled all the blood to the surface of my skin, leaving a hickey. The dress coat at work was shirt and tie with no hats. For two weeks, I had to walk around with a one-inch circumference hickey on my head without any opportunity to cover it up. 
I couldn't have a conversation at work where the other people didn't start laughing at me. After a while, of course, proceeded to scab, and then it finally disappeared. For years afterwards, whenever I was feeling or acting cocky, my wife would mimic pulling a toy from my from her forehead, and that usually straightened me out. <laughs> uh, I was working as a dishwasher at a fairly popular Italian restaurant chain. You only have so much downtime every shift, so I took advantage of a short five-minute break to use the restroom. I put toilet paper around the toilet as usual. When I was finished, I returned to my workstation. Well, over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, I noticed lots of people laughing at me and whispering about me as I passed them. As a dishwasher, you're constantly restocking the cook line and dishes, so I probably made about 10 to 15 trips around the back of the restaurant in 30 minutes. Eventually, I came to the realization that I had a string of toilet paper flipping out of my rear of my pants the entire time. It was so long that it was literally dragging on the ground behind me. Um, that was when I first started, too, so the other workers never let me live it down. I continued to work there for another two years. But that night was one of the most embarrassing nights of my life, undoubtedly. We've all had weird, weird work stories. 